gentlemen, welcome to episode number 70 of the Whatever We Show. We are back with all kinds of crazy cool stuff for you this week. Um, we've got all kinds of news uh, in the DC Universe, Aquaman rumors, new Justice League stills, it, the Marvel Universe, uh, Thor Ragnarok director says his new film is going to be pretty cool. I know, we're all shocked. We, we never heard of a director saying his new movie was going to be pretty cool, but here we are. Um, Cloak and Dagger. Uh, that's that. That may be a little bit of a pull for those of you not, you know, in, or uh, it's only in the mainstream of the Marvel universe. But Cloak and Dagger is going to have a um, live-action adaptation, which is looking pretty rad. Um, we've got comic books this week. We've got uh, me talking about a, a, a regular book, like just just words, no pictures, which is kind of unusual. Um, and Shut then, your mouth. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's weird. Um, my a lot of people didn't think I could read a whole book, but here we are. Um, Spaceballs. This is probably probably just about my favorite piece of news we're going to talk about this week. We've got Spaceballs coming up, um, which is just the best. And is that... Yes, it is. Very good. Have you read it? Okay. But we'll, I do own it. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um, and then we're going to close out with some wrestling, wrestling stuff. Um, we watched a classic match again this week. We're going to talk about Hell in a Cell uh, that happened at King of the Ring 1998. This is probably one of the more iconic matches of all time. This is Mankind versus The Undertaker, and it's a slobber knocker, folks. It is. By God. By, by God. He broke him in half. Yeah. Um, my JR sucks, but you know, whatever. Uh, all right, so let's get to it. All right. Um, so as we record this, uh, I'm going to segue real quick before we ever even get into the show proper. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but we are recording this post Super Bowl 51. Yeah. Um, Eddie did not watch it. I, I don't usually. Uh, I was at a buddy's house and uh, I was pulling for Tom Brady and the Patriots and it wasn't looking promising uh, in that first half at all. What nope. with the zero that points. I did That much I did know. Twitter was very helpful in reminding or in letting me know that it was kind of a blowout by the yeah. third quarter. Yeah. Um, and the Patriots pulled off the impossible, which was to bring it to a tie by the end of the game, uh, send it to overtime. They won the coin toss, got the ball, and drove it down for a touchdown to win. Um, one of the best games I've watched in a long time, period, out of anything. I've watched a lot of uh, really cool events. Uh, this game, this game kind of had it all. It had, from the from the very start, when you know the Patriots kind of got buried in the first half, it was just like, well, this is really depressing. And then all of a sudden, boom, uh, kept the Falcons scoreless and, uh, you know, pulled off a win after being down by 28 points. So, yeah, that's a crazy huge comeback, especially this late in the game, um, which even I know it not being a huge sports fan. But um, I'm kind of the, under the impression, though, that like betting against the Patriots is not really a solid plan. Like it, it's the not. Patriots are kind of like, um, I don't know, I want to say like the Bulls from 90 to 95 or, or, or like the Yankees from just about any year you want patriots have been to the super bowl nine times and they've won five of those yeah all five of those with tom brady that's a pretty solid record yeah um some firsts uh of course the big news tom brady becomes the uh first player in nfl history to win five super bowls so big deal uh cementing his legacy there this is also the um largest comeback in super bowl history also, that record deal. was previously previously set in 1987, I believe, by the Washington Redskins, uh, and this is also the first time the Super Bowl has gone to overtime. 
That's crazy. Actually, when you said that one, uh, of all the things that, um, the, you know, the record set by this one, never having a Super Bowl go into overtime to me is like crazy to think about. 51 games and, and no overtime with, you know, presumably the two best teams in the le- in each league at the time. It's it's insane that we've gone that far. And yeah. This is the first overtime game. Yeah. I'm, I'm not doing it justice because I'm I'm a I'm a casual football fan. Yeah. Uh, so I, this is the second game I've watched this season. I imagine for a lot of people, this is like, uh, as big a deal as like, well, not quite, but you know, like it's sort of like Cubs winning the pennant, pennant sort of thing. Like, uh, Cubs winning the pennant was fine. Cubs winning the World, the World Series was another thing. Yeah. <laughs> See, can you tell I'm not a huge sports guy? Yeah. You know, yeah. you're trying. Yeah. Uh, I know most of the words. It's yeah. This, this game was just fun to watch as a casual fan. I can't even imagine what it would be like if I was like hardcore invested uh, oh, in, in a team i was pulling for the patriots because here's here's the thing uh tom brady gets a lot of shit but uh he does you get a lot of shit when you're better than everybody else it just kind of works out that way it, it's i mean I, I don't think you get five rings if there's not something to that right you know especially as a qb like, now there are people that are going to call him a cheater and deflate gate and everything else but it's that's that's not really what people think it is and it's you know i, I I think that's kind of always that way with the top guys, though. I mean, there's very few guys, especially these days. It seems like there's a lot more pettiness when it comes to the top guys. Like, you can't have a conversation about LeBron without, you know, saying how much he sucks more than Michael or something like that. Yeah. Um, It's pretty much all over like that. Um, And then, of course, there it does seem like there's a little bit more um, actual scandal these days, Uh, especially, you know, when you go to baseball. All the big guys in baseball, it seems like, in the last, you know, five, ten years have had something uh, uh, in or around them that that has caused their you know um, records to be somewhat controversial. Well, and what's crazy about this is if I mean if it's possible for Tom Brady to have a Cinderella season, it's kind of this because he was suspended for the first four games of the season. Yeah, because of the Deflate Gate thing from literally two years ago, he just now got suspended. Finally, wow. Yeah, it's been it's been held up in negotiations. I barely even remember whatnot. that. But yeah. again, I'm not nearly the football fan that uh, probably anybody listening to this is. Yeah. Um. So he was suspended for the first four games, which means he had to rely on backup quarterbacks to to actually hold their own and and win those four games that he was gone. So then I I mean I don't know. I wanted to see him get his fifth ring because it's never been done before, and I like watching things that have never been done before. Yeah. Um, I got to see a few of those things tonight, and so that was that was fun. Um, you want to see Donald Trump get pissed on by a couple of Russian prostitutes? You know, that's probably been done before. I mean, yeah, maybe. But well, it's not top on my list. That that's where my head went to because there was a lot of um, not I don't really say flack, but uh, oh yeah, the thing I saw was the, uh, uh, Spencer, the the Nazi that got punched in the face at the yeah, yeah. rally. Yeah, he was tweeting shit because did he get punched in the face again? Uh, hopefully, I think he um, did. But uh, I, I guess uh, Tom Brady and whoever owns the Pats are um, Trump supporters. Yes, Robert Kraft. Which, uh, Spencer was tweeting happily about, and then and he was going on about how, um, you know, basically fuck Atlanta because there's a lot of black people there, and how great it is to see, you know, three white wide receivers on on the Pats. And I was kind of like, man, somebody needs to punch this guy again. If they didn't, if they didn't already, I mean, you have my blessing. Please punch him again. Yeah, I think I think somebody did. Yeah, um, I have a feeling that that's just gonna be a thing. Like when he walks into a room, it's he he just needs to assume he's probably gonna get punched in the face. Here's here's the thing. A lot of people like to ask the question, is it okay to punch a Nazi? The answer is always yes. Um, yeah. And you get to do it twice if you're a Jew, I think. I think that's standard. Yeah, that that that's fair. Yeah. You know, like, uh, that, that's not exactly reparations, but, but I think there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I think it's only fair. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's not reparations, but it is. It's it's something, especially on on uh, you know the eve of or or the not the eve, but a few weeks after na- um, uh, National Holocaust Remembrance Day, in which uh, the White House releases a statement which does not mention Jews whatsoever, and then goes on to affirm that and saying no, that wasn't an oversight. Uh, ever, other people suffered too. Yeah, just not quite like the Jews did. I mean, I don't know. There was less than six million of other people suffering. Is going to be my my <laughs> probably, suspicion. Probably, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What What do you think comes of having a, a white nationalist in the the White House as a you know major in a major uh, position? Um, I think lots of rocks are going to be thrown. I'm hoping at the White House. Yeah, preferably preferably mostly at Steve Bannon. Um, here's. Oh, oh, before we get off politics, oh. man, I don't know why this mic keeps just, dr- I'm sorry, guys, it's a hot it mic. happens, it's a hot mic. Um, anyway, uh, before we get off politics, which I don't want to spend any more time on, the Saturday Night Live from last night is solid gold. I didn't watch it, but I'm... Um, I'll, I'll- I didn't watch the whole episode. There's a couple of clips you can go find them around the internet or, you know, like YouTube, because that's where everybody goes, but uh, there was a skit at the very, very beginning of... Uh, the, the the cold open for the show in which Donald Trump was in the Oval Office making phone calls. I won't say any more, but it's hilarious. Um, and then there's another skit in which, and this is going to sound weird, but just trust me, Melissa McCarthy plays Sean Spicer giving a press briefing. Uh, it, it's one of the funniest things I've seen in quite she a while. Usually, she usually uh, essays the role of Kellyanne Conway, so that's that's going to be so like, funny. I'm not a super big fan of of uh, of Melissa McCarthy. Uh, she's all right, but um, or not Melissa McCarthy. I was thinking of the the blonde chick that's actually on SNL. Yeah, yeah, Kate McKinnon. Yeah, probably. Kate McKinnon, Kate McKinnon actually had a very brief. She's she's Kellyanne Conway. Yeah, she had a brief part as uh, Betsy DeVos in this. So, uh, as funny as McCarthy is, uh, I, there's something about Kate McKinnon that just basically every time she's there, it just kills me. Like, she had maybe three lines during her part as uh, Betsy uh, before before uh, Sean Spicer slash Melissa McCarthy kicked her off the stage. Um, but they're so funny. So funny. So anyway, check out SNL because um, as much as it sucks for the rest of us that Trump's our president, uh, SNL's just got to be eating this up. This is this is what's funny. This is why things work backward for Donald Trump than he thinks they, they normally do. Um, for the last several years, I have agreed with Donald Trump's assessment of Saturday Night Live. I Lots have not been a have, fan. Saturday Night Live is one of those things that perennially sucks unless you're like the right age at the time. Like whatever Saturday Night Live was good to you is probably around the ages of like say sixteen to twenty two. I would go further and say that it's probably between the ages of like thirteen and whatever. Yeah, that's because, fair. Uh, see, this is the Saturday Night Live I like too, though. Because, I had Wayne's World, dude, when I was. Yeah, see, that's that's hard to beat. That's hard to top. So. Um, when I was, I think that age, it was uh, a lot of Sandler stuff, Chris yeah. Farley and David Spade. Um, yeah, who else? Lots of, lots of guys actually came out of there, but you know, Saturday Night Live is kind of a talent factory. So, yeah, well, here's the thing, but now I watch it a lot because, uh, of the content and because I, I know that there's going to be shots fired, so to speak. Yeah. And I think it's, they're, they're getting really clever, uh, uh, with how they're writing the, 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 especially the Trump stuff too. Like one of the things that it, it's very, very subtle, but he's wearing a Russia flag pin on his lapel rather than, you know, like all politicians. I don't know. I, I, there must have been a law passed like four or five years ago or no back in like, uh, 2008, 2009 ish, somewhere around there, because I think there was a kerfuffle over, um, either Obama or maybe Kerry not wearing a, a fucking flag pin. And that was like this big deal. Like he's not wearing a flag pin. So he must be some kind of, you know, secret spy Nazi. Right. Shit. 
Um, but ever since then, you you wear an American flag pin if you're in any sort of pol- uh, political position. Um, and so he was wearing a Russian Russian flag pin. Uh, yeah, just golden. I, I, it's funny because I, uh, I'm actually, anytime I watch, uh, Trump shake hands with somebody at a press event or anything like that, and, you know, they always do the lean real close and whisper in their ears. Yeah. It always reminds me of Gary Shandling. I was just going to say, Hail Hydra. Yeah. And, and what was that, Iron Man 2? Uh, Gary Shandling, no, that one was was actually in, uh, Captain America. Was it Captain Uh, America? Winter Soldier, yeah. Yeah. The, the, well, I don't know. Shanley had he, Tony Stark from one of the other ones, though, and I can't. He did. He did. I think, and that was Iron Man too. Yeah. Um. And I think that started off actually. That was kind of the. I don't know if we of, knew he was Hydra yet, though. No, I, I'm pretty sure we didn't. But he was the one given Tony grief in the beginning of uh, Iron Man two. I think because. Yeah. Um, at the Senate I think Shanling wanted or his character Senator what's his fuck wanted uh the Iron Man suits turned over to the U.S. government. Yeah. And, and Tony was like, uh, no. Yeah. Not really. But I just, I just, I just have a feeling that he's he's whispering "Hail Hydra" every time he shakes hands. I, I kind of think so. Yeah, I kind of think so. Or like, uh, hold tight, comrade. Time almost here. Yeah. So here's here's my public service announcement for the evening. Um, again, we're not going to spend a ton of time on politics. We've done that over the last several shows. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, one of the memes I'm noticing on Twitter these days is like, if you wanted me to stop talking about politics, you shouldn't have pulled this bullshit sort of thing. Because yeah. like my feed now and I follow mostly tech people with a few, you know, like, uh, um, you know, like arrow stars and shit like that thrown in. Um, but yeah, it's it's almost all like politics these days. Yeah. Well, here's 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 my my PSA. Um, The time for violence is probably going to come. It's not yet. So yeah. um, if you're not satisfied with the government, that's cool because a lot of us aren't. Uh, but you can't throw bricks through Starbucks. I don't see what that's helping. No. And you can't destroy other people's property, really. It's it's not really going to accomplish anything. And, and a lot of you have pointed out the Boston Tea Party and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. But that was a legit revolution. Our revolution hasn't started yet. It's close, but it hasn't started yet. Yeah. So we, we... if you just hold off on the on the on the public destruction in the modern age is kind of hard for me to picture scenarios in which i would probably condone out and out revolution although this is probably the closer closest i've i can imagine in modern times uh that's not fair um because there have been some other you know really sort of messed up shit that we've been doing for the last hundred or so years but anyway yeah vi- violence probably not the answer unless it's punching punching nazis yeah yeah um, i suppose we should use this as a, as a segue into the music topic for the evening Oh yeah, that that's we we didn't even put it in the show notes, but we should throw it in there. Uh, yeah, uh, Matt actually texted me earlier today, and he's like, "You need to listen to the Stone Sour album, Come Whatever May." Um, came out in two thousand six. Uh, for those of you who have no recollection of modern history, uh, George W. Bush was president at this time. Uh, we had just gotten in the war with Iraq, you know, two or three years ago. Um, shit was going pretty sideways. And Mr. Corey Taylor, uh, the lead singer for Stone Sour and also Slipknot, was pretty pissed off about it. So, first couple tracks are basically... We, uh, we, we thought shit was going sideways back then. Turns out it would get way worse. But. Yeah, Turn, turns out that, that was light compared to what we're seeing today. Anyway, um, Corey Taylor is super pissed off about it. And um, the the first two or three tracks that I listened to today are basically just the giant fuck you to uh, GW, you know? Yeah. Um, I think they're especially relevant today because the things that that Corey Taylor was afraid were going to happen under the Bush administration, um, some of them didn't come to fruition. But then, like it, very quickly within you know, oh man, three weeks of of having somebody new in office and 
There's another tiny little silver lining during this time frame. Uh, there was lots of sort of uh, politically driven uh, um, music coming out. Like Perfect Circle came out with their Emotive album, which is an mm-hmm. album of covers, mostly of you know uh, um, political or war driven songs and stuff like that. Um, even Incubus was doing like their megalomaniac track off of a Crow Left of the Murder, which I think was 2004. Yeah, was a, a very you know um, n- not at all subtle love letter to GW. Was that their second album post Morning View? Uh, that was the next album right after Morning View. Was it? Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And, and I think Morning View was uh, 2002. So, so yeah. they had a little bit of time between those records. Yeah. They they do. Um, th- those records, I think, pre- progressed pretty naturally one to the other. Um, like Morning View, I think, was qu- uh, quite a big departure in sound from their previous, which was... Because right, uh, Light Grenades was the second one post. Yeah, Light Grenades yeah. was after a, a Crow. And um, that's kind of, for me, where Incubus started falling down a little. And then their their last one, I can't even remember what it's called because it sucks so bad. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, the Stone Sour record really is very relevant. Also, it's a good goddamn record. I mean, even the songs that aren't politically charged on it are super ridiculous. Yeah, good. I feel like some nice heavy hitting, uh, um, you know, metal, new metal kind of. Well, there's there's soft stuff on there too. Like Corey, yeah. Corey has a lot of range. It's not like that's the one you. The, if you recognize any song off of this, and you're not a, a fan, it would be uh, through the glass or through the I glass. Think, yeah, and you heard that all over radio mm-hmm. during this time frame. So there's almost no way you're not going to recognize that. Uh, yeah, it's it's the first album I listened to that I was just like, man, this dude actually has a ridiculously good voice. Like, yeah, not just like a screamy voice. Uh, his Slipknot stuff. There's there's some things that have a little bit of melody to them. They're a little softer and whatnot, but not to the extent that Stone Sour is. When uh um I started I think the first time I started listening to Stone Sour my my uh, only familiarity with Slipknot was the first album and maybe bits and pieces of their second album and so when I started listening to Stone Sour I was really surprised because as it turns out dude can sing uh mm-hmm. I mean in in Slipknot especially the first album it's just straight up guttural screaming most of the time which don't get me wrong even the first Stone Sour is, album is not was, too bad was very much like that um it was a lot it had heavier bother. but bother he actually was the one sang. song on it that that wasn't super heavy that's oh yeah that's a good point that's another song that you definitely will recognize yeah um but it's from the first record not from this record that's true yeah um and by the way if it sounds like this music discussion is very natural uh this is what eddie and i used to do while working at the same restaurant (laughs) after hours yeah like before we talked about comics and nerd shows there's a solid chance we actually talked about this album (laughs) or or something similar maybe the first stone sour record yeah more than likely so, but anyway, um, anybody who's a fan of of that kind of music, um, and or is not a and or is not a fan of our current administration, um, and or the Bush administration, yeah, you go can, ahead and give us some something listen. to like in there for you. Yeah. Speaking of Bush, I saw Bush Senior. Really? Herbert. Yeah, he actually did the coin toss today. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's what that was. Um, because uh, somebody was tweeting that, and I just assumed it was GW. Um, because they were talking about how you know he couldn't come to the the inauguration, but I was like, no, he was definitely there. He was in a wheelchair. Um, they yeah. had him. They had him on the field in a wheelchair today. So that's that's kind of funny because uh, they were talking about that. Like, um, a senior didn't go to the inauguration, but coin toss for the Super Bowl. Sure, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, Barbara, <laughs> I think I want to do it. <laughs> I am gonna do it. Did Did you um ever think there was gonna be a, a case where you'd be like, finally, my my, my George Walker? Uh, yeah, my my um yes, yeah, uh, no Herbert, Herbert George yeah, Herbert Walker, George H W Bush. That that impression is going to come back any time now. Like, yes. Yeah, I've used it like three times the last couple of days. Yeah, just solid. Because we were talking about the inauguration, the wife and I, and him not being there. And 
you know, of course, I had to pull out the not going to do it. Not going to do it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was there. So was Barbara. And there. I wonder if somewhere Dana Carvey sitting around with him like, fuck, yes. Honestly, it's really hard for me, for me to, to see him these days because, like, I don't like watching people slowly progressively die yeah and yeah, and that's i mean I, I get it it's 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 part of life and and who we are and whatnot but um i didn't hate senior politically uh, he was he was a lot more moderate than than a lot of republicans you which know, i guess he got a lot of shit for but it, that's probably actually one of the reasons why he didn't get a second term like yeah. i think i think that's probably fairly accurate which you know wasn't wasn't um right enough to like, really get a support from republicans and wasn't he, left enough to really get a, a lot of support from democrats so he literally chased iraq out of kuwait and was like all right what's next on the agenda and yeah like we're we're done we're not gonna we're not gonna drag this out for another six years like yeah. this is this is what we came to do it's accomplished we're done like yeah, I don't really remember. Honestly, I'm not old enough to really have been paying any sort of attention to um, HWs. Yeah, I mean, I was like, I don't know, seven or something like that, um, eight. So I'm not really old enough to have been paying attention during that time frame. But um, you know, I don't know. It's just weird because I think uh, I think that is definitely correct. Like he was definitely a little bit more moderate than, um, um, especially now the current Republican Party. The current Republican Party is just like full on as far right as you can turn sort of thing. Uh, um, especially compared to the previous years. What's, what's weird about that whole situation is that desert storm, like the American people were into that war, man. Oh yeah. Tops and upper deck, both made trading card sets of desert storm. Like you could get a Norman Schwarzkopf card, (laughs) not, not shitting you weird. Yeah. Like my dad, I'm pretty sure has the entire set. Yeah. So, we we've we've gotten a little tired of war lately. Yeah, I think it's uh it's harder to get jazzed up I might about even a war. Have a set of them actually. Yeah, yeah. My dad put together sets for like both both us kids and and whatnot, and uh, he actually brought all of my cards that he had collected for me over the years and whatnot a few years back. So I have yeah. to go through them all at some point. Yeah, I think it's a little bit harder to get jazzed up about war these days because there's not really a clear you know like uh, Vietnam was kind of the first one that it's like who do we even root for here. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, the, the, the last major war I can remember that, or, you know, that I think it really existed that, um, you had a clear good guy and a clear bad guy was probably world war two, which is why it's okay to punch a Nazi. Uh, the, uh, and, and that, you know, being much more obvious, it's a traditional war, you know, you, you kill the guys with the swastikas sort of thing. Not really like, uh, okay, we're going to go drop into, um, a, a neighborhood and try to figure out which ones are the terrorists based on their, cl- I mean, not even their clothes or, you know. There's well, no- and we didn't even fight that war, right? Because yeah. you know there was a clear villain in in Germany and and you know Hitler and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then we're like, you know what? You know, you know what? I bet would work. Let's uh, let's go drop a couple atomic bombs on Japan. We were pretty pissed off. Like- I mean, Japan Japan was responsible for Pearl Harbor. Don't get me wrong. I get it. Um, it it just. I'm like, well, the Germans started it. Yeah. Like as I mean, they're waging there, they're but... waging the major part of the war, we were like, Yeah, but these guys, they came over here and poked us with a stick, so fuck those guys. Pretty much. They um, were just like And they knew it too. Japan knew it. And yeah. we probably didn't have to bomb them. Um but it definitely got the point across, I think. <laughs> I think so. Um I don't know. How different would modern history be, do you think, if we didn't use nukes at that point? Or if we'd used it on Germany instead. 
had that yeah that'd be crazy too but just like the, the germans were nuclear working warfare. on like genetic engineering though i have a feeling if we had long fucking dropped a-bombs on them like we would be responsible for some kind of weird super species like we would have actually gotten red skull probably or yeah. something like that yeah yeah look out for red skull folks all right so now that we're 35 minutes in or whatever let's <laughs> uh start the show shall we <laughs> sure 26 um, come on um yeah, so anyway, in, in our show notes this week, uh, we have a follow-up piece, actually. We talked about this on the last episode, I think. And on the last episode, we told you that uh, Ben Affleck had confirmed he was going to direct the Batman. Turns uh, out that that night, yeah, it, it actually was not the case. Yeah, and then later, he yeah, um, probably within the space of two weeks altogether, he came out and said... Uh, not i'm not i'm not going to direct he was very uh politically minded about it he said something along the lines of like this is a real you know uh laborious project uh, i'm already starring in and producing the thing and and you know have have a writing credit and to really do this right we need to get you know everybody focusing on the right things um according to ben i mean ultimately and again like eddie said this is this was kind of a a, a politically correct statement by ben but um basically what he said is the character of batman means so much to so many people that in order for him to do the role justice, he was going to need to step away from the directing piece of it. Yeah, he's got to focus, focus on, on starring. acting it. Yeah. He's already executive producing and, and co-wrote the script. So Yeah, um, which is kind of funny because um, when, I don't know, we have to, have to probably go back about six months, but uh, something like six months ago, he said something along the lines of, yeah, I'll direct it if, if the script's good. Um, so what are you trying to tell us, Ben? Yeah, it's going to be, it, this is going to be difficult for me because there's a lot of, uh, rumor going around, uh, you know, as to, you know, why all of a sudden he's not doing it. Um, well, first off, I don't think that what he said is like a crazy, unbelievable, you know, story. Like he, he's already pulling some weight on this movie. Like he, he's, you know, largely responsible for it in many different aspects right now. So it doesn't really surprise me that he would say that he doesn't want to direct as well. Um, but it's just kind of funny because the way that the, you know, and I think the biggest thing going against it and the r real reason why these rumors are all swinging because, um, it's a DC property. Like DC's got so many we weird things going on and you've got, you know, over in the flash universe, we've, we've lost two directors now and, and all that shit. So, um, I think that when people see another, something like that happening in, on another DC property, they're just kind of like, who's got their head up their ass over there? Because obviously something's going wrong. So, yeah. I kind of wonder if Johns is getting pushback. You kind of have to assume that he's getting some kind of pushback from people because otherwise, you know, I honestly in a so DC their their cinematic universe at least has been pretty dysfunctional for the last few years. So I kind of think ever actually it's always been that way. Yeah, I kind of think if uh, Johns isn't pissing people off right now, he's probably not doing his job very well. Like because business as usual for them is not something that they need right now. Yeah. It's not something the fans want. It's not something that's going to help their pocketbooks. Um, so if he's not pissing people off, he needs to get his shit right. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's, this has been this way for years as Warner Brothers just kind of hasn't uh, fully adopted what it means to own a comic book property. And, and Warner Brothers does own DC. So it's like at some point you have to kind of figure that stuff out. There, uh, Kev Smith talks, talks about you know when they asked him to write a script for Superman. Oh, yeah. Um, before um, we got the Brandon Routh one, he was like, well, yeah, I can write it. But like you got guys over at D.C. that write this shit every day. Like, why don't you bring yeah. one of those in? And they're like, oh, no, no, that's the comic book side. Like we we need movie people in here. And he's like, all right. 
<laughs> that he actually does a, a really solid half hour talk or something like that he's told this story a few different times but um he would I've, i i saw about a half hour talk on youtube in which he details the process of writing the superman script and uh just let's hope that there's a lot of different people in charge today because the process yeah. that he he goes through is it's just giant a, spiders yeah cl- it's a clusterfuck from start to finish like the whole thing is just when you hear it it, it sounds like the sort of overblown um you know, like Hollywood story that you sort of expect and that all of us cynical nerds are always talking about when, when a movie doesn't turn out right. Um, it, and it sounds like that's exactly what was going on over there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, you should Google that or check it out on YouTube. Um, if I remember, I'll, I'll try to stick a link to the show notes, but um, I don't even remember what that's called. I guess I'll just Kevin rants about Superman. So you uh, need Kevin Smith. The, yeah, it's on, it's it's on the DVD, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, also, the, the thing is, is um, they've got, not just Johns and, and uh, Ben writing. They brought in uh, Terrio, Chris Terrio, from, who wrote the screenplay for Argo as well. Nice. So we'll see. Um, that gives me a little bit of hope because Argo was really well written. So Yeah. Uh, I think Argo in, in general is fairly solid, really yeah. cl- critically um, well received. So, uh, And I think Ben directed that one too, did he, he did. didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, so see, Ben, you could do it. He also starred in that movie. Wow. Of course the lead in the movie wasn't batman that's true uh, like i said it, it's it's not a, a thing that's at all unbelievable um it's just a little sad because it seems like every piece of news coming out of dc just sort of reveals that um, um something's not quite something's right. not quite gelling the way it should be there yeah yeah so and, and again as closely as, as johns and affleck have been working together from what we've you know heard anyway um it doesn't seem like Ben would, you know, step out because he doesn't want to deal with some dickhole producer or something like that. So, <coughs> um, although I suppose that could be it too. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a di- different uh, level of pressure when you're directing the whole thing, executive producing, uh, um, than it is, you know, just acting in the film. So here's here's actually kind of what I'm afraid of. I'm kind of afraid that Wonder Woman's going to come out and it's going to absolutely knock everybody's socks off, and then the rest of it is going to kind of be let down. I I really hope that Wonder Woman comes out and is amazing. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not. I I want that for a lot of reasons. I mean, I have daughters. You've got a daughter. Like it's Wonder Woman is more important now. I think than she's ever been, just because we have um, comic books being in the in the mainstream, um, and we have a lot of girls out there that uh, that need empowered. Yeah, and um, we don't really have a lot of um, female driven, especially not in the superhero genre. No. And the closest we've gotten is, is uh, um, probably black widow, um, mm-hmm. at least in the MCU. And, and she sleeps with people to gain their trust. Yeah. It hasn't exactly been so, uh, it full of, full of, or full of, um, you know, completely advancing. Don't get me um, wrong. Scar Jeff, keep doing what you're doing, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, famously, we've we've talked about this on the show before, but they haven't given her her own movie or anything like that yet. Even though there's definitely a story there, she barely gets uh, action figures. She barely gets action figures, even though she's in every fucking movie. Um, you know, like there's just no reason why she's she's not bigger for that franchise and for you know outside of the properties. Um, but you know, here we are. Um, although we were just talking about this, I think uh, we talked about this probably in the last episode of the episode before that. Star Wars, though, right now lead female lead in that 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 comes off perfectly so yeah um keep doing that thing uh and that's kind of why i'm hoping for wonder woman to turn out because um that really is a female lead driven thing gal gadot is so good i had i had a lot of reservations about her going into it same um but she's she's ridiculous good and she seems to have embraced it like personally as well like it's not a um 
it's not unusual for her to like post on Twitter uh, pictures of her, you know, signing Wonder scads of Wonder Woman stuff to send out to people and whatnot. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, in other DC news. Yeah. There's no way we're going to pronounce this right. Um, but I'm, our I'm, Aquaman. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Okay. So we've cast Black Manta. Yep. And that is Yahya Abdul-Mateen. I think that's as close as we're possibly going to get. I think that's how it's how it's pronounced. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Abdul Mateen, the second actually says his IMDb page. Yes. Uh, I know nothing about. Um, he was in Baywatch, or will be in Baywatch because that's not out yet. Yeah. Uh, I saw a spot for it during the Super Bowl. Nice. Is it? Does it look? Is it look anything good? I saw Zac Efron's package in a thong. Okay. Cool. I mean, that's going to sell tickets, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. Maybe. Uh, high school I, musical right there's like, a subset of the audience that would they would totally go go just to see efron's package in a thong for, for an hour and a half i'm just saying he's not the only high school musical star we're going to talk about today too yeah speaking of high school musical stars uh i just saw this picture apparently katie lots used to be a backup dancer for like selena gomez or something really yeah it was on reddit uh there, there was a picture of her you know in in, in a gomez video uh, but i guess she had done a lot of work like that she'd done a lot of uh uh, dancing and and tours with uh, other much more famous people that I've forgotten already. Well, let's let's talk about High School Musical after we talk about Yaya. I think we're taking we're taking the spotlight off of him. Yeah, we are kind of. Um, so it's unfortunate because I don't really have a lot to say other than uh, he 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 looks fine. He looks like he's gonna fit Black Manta just perfectly. If, if you look up pictures of Black Manta, especially uh, his current stuff in the Aquaman comics and whatnot, yeah. he looks he looks legit as yeah Black Manta. Ab- about as cast out of the pages as you can get. Yeah. Um, you know, minus a shave, but. Even then, I think that'll be fine too. He's also got kind of a um, he he looks like a clean cut dude, but there does he does look like um, he's got just a slightly uh, I don't know how to say this like a bit of edge to him mm-hmm. maybe. So yeah. he he looks like he could be pretty good for this, assuming he can act. I, like I said, I've never seen a single thing he's been in, and looking at his IMDb, um, like he's a pretty fucking fresh uh, actor. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, the get down uh, that's. Probably, if I had to guess, where, where um, you might know him from the Get Down, I think is a Netflix show. Um, yeah, it's a Netflix show. Uh, yeah. So you, you can go check that out. And I guess maybe I'll check out a couple of episodes for that and see um, if I like him or not. But I've heard good things about the Get Down, too. So uh, congratulations uh, to our new Black Manta and so on. So um, we don't have a TV section this week because we only watched a couple shows and whatnot. But I, I did want to segue into something. Did you watch Powerless? No. Fuck. It was... Oh, it was not the Alan Tudyk role that I was hoping for. Bummer. Um, I did watch the trailer, um, which, you know, gives me almost nothing to go off of, but it, it didn't... It seemed okay, and I, I quite honestly, I was mostly going to be watching it as a fan of the it, genre, and Tudyk in particular. It seems that NBC is handling it about as well as they handled the promotion for uh, Constantine. Oh, wonderful. So, so I, I suppose if you're a casting director, you can look forward to having Alan Tudyk back in the regular rotation, uh, probably in about a half a season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it more than one episode, but I wasn't all that impressed by it. I mean, there were some funny parts to it and whatnot, but it was so essentially um, I'll give you the breakdown of it. It's Van Wayne, Bruce's cousin, mm-hmm. who's running a division of Wayne Tech in uh, Charm City. Okay. And it's about to get shut down because Bruce doesn't feel like there's anything coming out of it. So he's just going to close the whole company, um, which Van is really excited for because he is being absorbed into the Gotham office, which is what he's always wanted was to go work there. Okay, cool. And uh, Vanessa Hudgens, 
you know, oh, high school musical. High school musical. Uh, it, he had just hired her to come in and motivate the troops and actually start production right before they got the announcement that they were shutting them down. Um, and so long story short, she has to motivate them into um, creating a product that's good enough that Bruce will notice it and not shut them down. Cool. So they did. Um, and then they, I will say, and this is going to be a spoiler for Eddie, but it's a sitcom, so whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a bit at the end. So the product that they d- developed was uh, essentially there's a supervillain called Jack O' Lantern or something like that who's been flying <laughs> around, okay, terrorizing people. They they built a detector that used um olfactory sensors to detect his scent when he was near, <laughs> okay, so that they could get to safety. I wonder if like Professor Farnsworth was like, "You bastard, stole my idea." You yeah, know, like. Um, and then, and then at the end of it, they, um, there was a news, uh, thing on TV talking about how Batman had, uh, developed this piece of tech that was able to detect the Joker by his scent and they were, he was able to apprehend the Joker and, <laughs> and take him in. <laughs> that's they're, nice like, nod. they're like, that's really coincidental that he developed the same thing we did. Yeah. <laughs> you have to wonder about that. Um, like they did a decent job of explaining that in the dark Knight, in that like Fox was like the only person who, who knew anything, which is funny because you know, those tumblers didn't get billed by Fox. Right. Uh, but um, yeah, I always wonder about stuff like that, especially when it's like Br- Bruce Wayne who clearly, um, you know, there's a whole division of people working on these products typically. And you think none of them are just like, you know, that's really weird. We just d- developed that whole uh, cape thing that uh, uh, tenses up like that. That's so strange. That- the the closest thing came in uh, The Dark Knight when that one dude was going to try and blackmail Bruce Wayne and then Fox called him out on his bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Which was probably one of my favorite scenes in that whole trilogy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, that was classic. Because as, as I was watching that, I was like, oh, well, how's this going to go down? This is weird. Uh, you intend to blackmail this man? Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay, so on our next piece of Justice League, or uh, Justice League, well, it is Justice League, but on our next piece of DC news, um, we got a new Justice League still, um, and I'm not really going to talk about it a whole lot other than to say all it's of our cool characters looking. look super cool in it. Um, so this is a uh, Wonder Woman, um, Aquaman, and uh, Cyborg, and I gotta say, I- I'm I'm actually really kind of liking the Cyborg look. Aquaman in and- his, his full gear. Goddamn Aquaman. Uh, yeah, he he man, there's just. There's, there's, he's huge. Uh, uh, Cal Drogo, you know, there's a reason uh, they cast him in this role. Uh, he, he looks gigantic. So, dude, speaking of Jason Momoa, I just, uh, I've been watching Stargate. Yeah. Again. And uh, I right. just finished season eight. So, consequently, or no, season seven. So, consequently, like, at the onset of season eight is also the onset of, of Atlantis. Atlantis, which means yeah. I'm, I'm a season away from Ronan. From Ronan. Yep. Nice. Um, all right, so that's in the show notes. Check it out. Uh, this, like every episode, if you want to, you can go check it out online, uh, whatever.co slash 70 will be where you'll find this one. Um, and, you know, usually you can just scroll down in your podcast player, but just in case. Uh, last piece of news in the DC universe is a super exciting one, actually, for me and for a lot of people who grew up watching um, this actress play Lois on Lois and Clark. Uh, Terry, Hatcher, Terry Hatcher is coming to Supergirl for a major season two arc. Um, so that should be coming up pretty soon because last you checked it's season two and we're 10 episodes in now. Um, yeah, we're halfway, we're halfway through. But yeah, kind of cool to see, uh, Terry Hatcher back in, in the, uh, super family. Um, she was actually a really good Lois. I thought I, I really enjoyed Lois and Clark in general. Of course I was a kid at the time, so maybe it doesn't hold up at all now, but I really enjoyed that show. When I was, was on, so. I was super in love with Lois on that show. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like, it, uh, she probably wasn't my first crush crush, but 
I'll be damned if I didn't have a huge crush on her when I was like, I don't know, 12 or something. I never really liked Margot Kidder as Lois. And so then when Lois and Clark came out on TV, I was like, man, this is what Lois could be. Yep. Yep. Um, And and she actually is a really good Lois, too. Like, I'm not a super big fan of uh, Bosworth, obviously. Kate Bosworth, I thought kind of just sucked as lois yeah and uh um well i I don't hate her lois um amy adams is it amy adams yeah Yeah, isla fisher is the other one that i always confused for amy adams amy adams weird because they don't really look alike yeah it's so (laughs) strange um amy adams is not my favorite lois uh by far but but i really do uh oh erica durance is the other one that she's uh, really good though should get a notable mention i Uh, like erica durance and 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 terry probably about on even par Yeah. yeah Yeah, th- those are probably two of my favorite incarnations uh, thus far. So um, excited to see her coming back to Supergirl. I don't know. Th- I didn't read far enough, so I'm not sure what she's going to play. Um, presumably, it's not going to be Lois because that'd be weird. A uh, <laughs> little bit. Yeah, that would be kind of funny. Oh, or if she was like Lois from the future because in their their world, you know, Lois can't be that old. But she's she's about the only character that we haven't actually met on that show is Lois because we we met Superman. Yeah, and. So. Uh, if uh, they don't put her and Dean Cain together in some fashion, you know, like uh, probably some sort of fan nod she joke. She should return as some like old flame of his or something. That would be hilarious. Just any, any way, they, they've they got to do something. they got to get them on screen for like two seconds to yeah. make a, a, an offhanded, you know, reference or joke to it. Uh, otherwise, that's a total missed opportunity. But anyway, exciting because, uh, yeah. Similar, similar to what they did in the uh, crossover with Legends when... Uh, Ray Palmer looks at Supergirl and is like, I think she kind of looks like my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> Does she remind you of anybody? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, super cool. All right. So on to the Marvel Universe. Uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to start off with uh, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, the director for Thor Ragnarok has said the new, f- uh, compared the new film actually to uh, Civil War. So that guy's either got a pair or this is going to be a real good movie. Yeah. I don't think he gets to make that call. It's a little hard to believe. Um, you know, like the, the they, it seems Ragnarok, like he's maybe attached a little bit too much to it. Yeah, the thing about Civil War versus Ragnarok is like, uh, number one, Civil War didn't have Thor in it, so that's not really a good comparison. <laughs> uh, number two, unless they're bringing Spider-Man back for Ragnarok, like that, that's going to deflate some of the steam there. Or ninety percent of the rest of the cast of all the other movies, because that's what Civil War had. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Um, the 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 cast of the you know the the hero fight was awesome in Civil War. That's not really what makes the a uh, super great movie though. Um that that definitely is a pretty rad spot. Um but yeah, I, I really actually do hope that this movie is everything he claims it to be because we only win if if uh Marvel produces awesome yeah, movies. Don't get me wrong, I'm not asking him to fail or that I indicating that I want him to fail by any means, but I definitely uh, yeah. I, I think it's it is very ballsy. Yeah, it's like I read a link earlier today that said uh, Apple's uh, CEO, Tim Cook, uh, said, you know, they've got some really cool stuff coming in the next couple of quarters. And like, what else are you going to say? Like with the, when you're the director of Ragnarok or you lead Apple or whatever, are you going to be like, uh, you know, actually, this movie's kind of basically turning out shit right now. Yeah, uh, you, we're phoning this one in, honestly. Yeah. Um, just, you know, check out the next one, maybe. There's guys in the back going, but you just did that with Thor, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The subtext was again. We're phoning this one in again. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, I hope it's good. But you know, trusting somebody actually in the film. You know, like I was. I, I follow Chris Pratt on Twitter, and he had a lot of positive things to say about passengers. And let's just look how that turned out. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't uh, seen it yet, but 
I did, and you could wait for DVD on that one. I, I mean, mean, at this point, you kind of have to, but uh, I, I kind of wish I would have as well. Yeah. You'll yeah. you'll probably, I mean, you'll have the movie figured out probably about ten minutes in. I'll I'll, I'll check it out at yeah. some point when it comes out, but yeah. yeah, I'm not. I didn't rush out to the theater and see it to see it. I mean, J Law though looks super hot in it. That would be the reason you should rush out to the theater and see it. And other than that, um, I guess uh, Chris Pratt is also super hot in it. But um, <laughs> so that could be a reason why you want to go too. But uh, he's uh, so dreamy. He is. He's quite dreamy. But um, the movie on its own is, is a little come rough. a long way it's from that chubby rough. guy for Parks and Rec. They actually had a scene uh, that was really good in uh, Parks and Rec because it was when he was g- getting ready, I think, to shoot Guardians. And so he toned, he trimmed way the fuck down really yeah. fast and toned up really fast. And so somebody was asking him like, so, uh, how, how did you, you know, how did you do that? And, and he's like, I just, I stopped drinking beer. And th- they were like, how many beers did you drink a day? Um, because you know, he was, he was definitely super chubby, uh, prior to it. Yeah. So. Anyway. I, I really liked his character in Parks and Rec. So yeah, he, he was awesome. Um, all right, uh, next piece of Marvel news, Cloak and Dagger. I'm going to let you take this one because I'm not really... Okay, so I'm... I'm, I'm semi... I'm tangentially familiar with them because they've been in a couple different things. Um, that's that's Spider-Man. about all I got they were, to. They were in a Spider-Man, a Spider-Man story arc that I read pretty recently, but uh, that's about it. That's about all I got to. I think Cloak and Dagger I'm mostly familiar with because I think they had a small run in Ultimate. Um uh, ultimate spider-man of course uh and that's about it but they are intriguing characters um i can't remember too much about their backstory and i'll have to go look it up uh probably later and it's too bad that i didn't think to do I, that before we actually started you know, the show cloak can tr- teleport people to different places using his cloak i think so something like that i want to say he's got like some kind of weird shadow power or some shit like that yeah. um and i can't remember what dagger's deal is she's a girl of course um but anyway uh, I'm excited for this property because I do remember being intrigued about them w- when I was reading them and I've seen them c- pop up in a couple of stories. I guess I should probably go look and see if they've got their own books or, you know, what their prominent storylines are. Um, but this, this interestingly is not going, uh, someplace you'd expect. Um, this is going to Freeform. Um, Freeform is a, is a formerly ABC family. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so, you know, previous, which isn't that big of a stretch because obviously Disney, uh, owns ABC and all that kind of shit. So, um, presumably they still own, you know, Freeform and, uh, so it's not a huge stretch to see them go there. But They'll give you something to watch when there's not a Harry Potter weekend on Freeform. Which shan't be often, I would assume. Yeah. Cause I'm pretty sure it's like every other weekend. Yeah. They're, they're definitely getting their mileage with their Harry Potter weekends and breaks every 10 and a half minutes or something. What's crazy is I end up watching them even though I own all the movies. Yeah, doesn't I? I start. Um, well, I don't. We don't have cable anymore. But when we, when we, the last time we did, we would do that too. And then I would just kind of sit there and be like, "Why am I doing this to myself?" You know, because they they really run the shit out of commercials during those Harry Potter weekends, um, like more so than average, which average is really shitty right now anyway. Um, so I'm always like, "Why? Why am I doing this?" I could just I could just go grab the DVD and just put that in, and then I'm like, "Oh yeah," because then I have to get up and go grab the DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Mine are all on my digital streaming box, so yeah, I have less work to do. Okay, here we go. Um, so this is the explanation. Uh, Tandy, who is, of course, Dagger, can emit light daggers, and Tyrone has the, uh, that's, of course, Cloak, has the ability to engulf others in darkness. Uh, yeah. So, right on. And their boyfriend-girlfriend. I will probably watch it. I, um, 
I also misspoke last week when I talked about Legion. It doesn't actually start until this coming week. So okay, uh, for a second I thought I was going to say, should I miss Legion too? Nope, five days. Five days. It's awesome. So, so I'm such a DVRs. Way excited about that. So. On FX. So. Uh, okay, so let's talk comic books. Yeah, we, we read, read some comic books. We did. Um, so we read the uh, first six issues, the only six that exist right now, of uh, Justice League versus Suicide Squad. Yeah, this was that that this was uh, a limited series, so we we completed it. Yeah, um, the book didn't really blow me away. It didn't. There was so here's the thing. Um, the main story, uh, which was the six issues we're talking about today, tell a story. You get a lot of interesting backstories though by reading the issues of Justice League and Suicide Squad that tie in with those every yeah. other week as well, and um. And I read most of those. The only one I haven't read so far is the Suicide Squad, which um, from that took place at the same time as uh, issue six, which would have been the epilogue to the story and the wrap up and and whatnot. Um, it's important for a couple of reasons, though, and we get um, we'll get into those here as we as we go along. But um, essentially, this is the first time we've had Maxwell Lord uh, back in the comic book realm for quite a while. He's been I don't remember him being in the New Fifty Two like at all. Nothing I read. Yeah. He might have been there, but yeah, if he was, it wasn't in stuff that Eddie and I kept up on, so. Yeah. Um, so, there's a couple of things that annoyed me a little bit about this book. Um, number one is, uh, so the whole way this starts out is um, the Suicide Squad uh, gets sent on a mission by Waller. Um, the Justice League, they're up there in the, in the Watchtower, and they're talking about how, look at all these bad guys who are working together. And Okay, so apparently they're just learning about the Suicide Squad. Um, and they decide to go down there and, 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 you know, basically bail them out because they, they run into it. The suicide squad runs into a problem that they can't solve, which is, you know, like the Island, I think, uh, a building's about to fall over and dead shots on his way to certain death and all that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, they, they go save him. Waller, of course, orders the squad to, uh, fight the justice league off. Um, because, you know, she can't have her team broken up and the whole time they're doing this, uh, you know, like the league's kind of like, you know, stand down sort of thing. And the, the the squad doesn't really want to fight the league. It's not a good idea for them. Um, you know, on an individual basis, they all get their asses kicked pretty regularly by by their, you know, league counterpart. And uh, also, you know, Superman. All together, yeah, Superman, um, the big blue elephant in the room. Uh, all together, it's it's just not looking good for them. And so the squad's all reluctantly standing there like, we don't, we don't really want to fight the squad. And, and Waller's Coast is like, you know, I'll blow up your head with that thing I put in your neck. Um, which is the MacGuffin for the Suicide Squad. Why do all these bad guys work together? Um, if you haven't seen or ever heard of them before, it's because Amanda Waller, um, who's shady as hell, uh, you know, basically implants these uh, bombs in the base of their spine, or not base, uh, base of their head. And so, uh, you know, she can blow them up if they don't listen. Yep. Um, so as that's going down, I'm kind of just like, why don't, why doesn't anybody just be like, look, we don't want to do this, but we don't want to get our heads blown up because that would have solved the whole problem. Like this, the, the, the league would have been like, okay, well we have to figure out how to help them. Then they're doing this under duress, you know, sort of thing. Um, whereas instead everybody just goes full retired and they duke it out. Yeah. We got a couple of cool things out of this though. Um, Lobo. Lobo was a lot of fun and uh, I'm not really familiar with Lobo at all, but I like So him. this is Lobo classic, uh, we got a Lobo from the New 52 who was not the Lobo that we've all known and loved. And uh, they retconned him horribly in the New 52. And so this was kind of an apology for that. And now we, we have real Lobo back. 
Well, that's good because I actually he's he was a standout for me. Yeah, um, I've always liked Lobo, and so we we've got that, and then we've also got uh, Killer Frost now in a prominent role, which was they're they're turning her face. Yeah, it seems yeah. it seems like that's the way yeah, we're she's, going. She's she's undergoing a face turn. Yeah, uh, so that that's another sort of um, subplot in this uh, Killer Frost, Caitlin Snow. Um, she gets a little bit of backstory in this whole thing. Um, you know, of course, she got turned into Killer Frost, and and uh, the thing that isn't happening in the Flash at all is she's got to drain other people's life force essentially to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's not really digging that, and uh, she, that becomes a subplot. Um, also, draining Superman life force is basically like a a uh, Caitlin Snow Uber power up. So yeah, that was that was pretty neat too. Yeah, so a couple of memorable moments. Uh, Batman blows Lobo's head off. Which was amazing. Yeah, that that actually, when I saw that, I was like, holy shit. And then I was like, oh, no. Well, Lobo, for those of you not familiar, has a healing ability um, very similar or maybe even as strong or stronger I, I think, than Wolverine. I think maybe it kind of goes a little past what Wolverine has. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got... Um, Lobo does not, uh, in this story, have the thing at the base of his head until Bats is like, well, now you do. Um, so Bats sticks the thing in his in his head and and then blows his fucking head off. Like literally, it, it's gory. It's like when you watch it, I was like, are they are they going are they going? Is this really know? a DC book? Yeah, is this is this Affleck Batman in there yeah. just killing motherfuckers? Uh, but no, as it turns out, he's got a super cool ability to heal. So which they explain in the book. I was just I hadn't seen the extent of it, so I was like, well, obviously he's got a heal. And from I loved that, it but- when Lobo when Lobo confronted him about it, and he was like, well, you fucking. Came back from everything else we did. Yeah, I figured you'd be all right. <laughs> yeah, that that was the best part actually, because he's like, yeah, I didn't really know. Like, like yeah. there's the subtext of, yeah, yeah. I mean, you might have died, whatever. Yeah. So uh, that was that was fun. Um, it's uh, it's kind of a convoluted story because you got Maxwell Lord and he puts together what was the original Task Force X, um, who are locked away in a prison mm-hmm. underground somewhere. It's Wallers. Wallers essentially locked them away. And uh, and so he brings them to fight the current Suicide Squad. And the Justice League steps in and whatnot. Um, and he's trying to find this thing, which happens to be a crystal. And then it unleashes Eclipso. Which Eclipso was a bigger badass when uh, before the New 52. Back in the day, they did an entire story arc. I think the whole DC continuity. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of a thing. Um, but it, Maxwell Lord and that whole quest to get the crystal thing kind of, I, it was lost on me. Cause I was just like this, what, what really killed it for me, uh, was when we get to the end, uh, Maxwell's talking to Waller and he, and she's like, he's like, this was your plan all along. You had to get me to go after the crystal so I could get the other guys from the task force X so they could fight the new task force X and then we could bring in the suicide squad. So now they're all working together and it's yeah. just like, no, that, that is so fucking convoluted and a million things could have gone wrong like it's like uh um i don't know and the and the shitty part was that he was right yeah the, and they were like oh yeah that she's like yeah basically yeah um, she never said yes but she was like no but you're gonna be in my new task force which is now xi yeah or 11 11 yeah so um yeah that whole thing though was just so convoluted um that, that it just kind of it's irritating when they do that. Like there's something masterful about doing a, a twist, like uh, say in the prestige um, and, and you know how that all comes together. Uh, this wasn't that though. It's just like, you know, when you stop and think for five seconds, that plan doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. I, uh, I thought this, this overall story was lukewarm. 
Yeah, fair. I'm 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 okay with what we're getting out of it because we are getting a new Justice League forming with Killer Frost and Lobo and both in it. Yeah, that looks really rad. Uh, yeah, that's gonna be fun. And I think that book actually debuts like next week or something. So cool. Uh, we'll we'll have to check that out. Also, Batwoman, her solo uh, title comes out comes this, out this month. This and month, gotta so. say that's one of my most anticipated titles in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was not a fan of her character um, or her New Fifty Two book, uh, but the detective stuff that she's been doing has been amazing. Not yeah, that she's actually got control over it. It's being written well, though. So. Yeah, the, the Detective and Batman. Actually, that's a perfect segue because we're going to talk about Batman number 14 and 15 next. Um, but Detective and Batman have been pretty consistently on fire for their entire Rebirth run um, and, and definitely are some of my most anticipated books e- each week. Um, so that they're, And they're definitely books that I don't put off reading. Uh, so uh, we read 14 and 15 not too long ago. Um, 14 and 15 are basically um, the story of uh catwoman it's catwoman's story catwoman's on the run because she's accused of killing a whole bunch of people and it's revealed throughout the thing that she didn't really uh yeah this this actually immediately follows a story arc in which batman actually had worked with amanda waller to put together a team to go to santa prisca and confront bane yep um they needed to get uh psycho pirate back so that they could uh fix uh gotham girl because she was still a little bit loopy and whatnot um, but Catwoman was part of the team. Uh, she was currently serving a sentence for killing like 233 people or something like that. Um, which if, if you're familiar with Catwoman continuity and whatnot, you know that Catwoman is a master thief. Um, uh, sometimes she works on way on the other side of the law, but she is not a killer. No. Um, and I think that that whole deal with her being a killer and, and convicted and all that kind of stuff, um, honestly kind of broke Bruce Wayne's heart. Yeah, I think it did. Um, and, and that's kind of, we, this story is a little bit of the fallout from that because, um, you know, so the, the 14 opens up with her essentially saying, you know, um, Batwoman, or Batwoman, Batman is taking her in essentially after the Santa Prisca, you know, thing. And, uh, she's kind of like, you know, but let's just have this night. Um, yeah, give me, give me this one night. Yeah. And he's like, but I shouldn't. And then he's like, yeah, no, actually, let's go ahead and do it on the rooftop here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that real shocking. Um, and, and, you know, it sets up a good relationship, I think, or it, it furthers a relationship probably that we're familiar with. Because to me, if you want to talk about uh, Batman's love interest, it always comes back to Catwoman, Selena Kyle, every single time. Uh, there, Obviously, he's had lots of other love interests over the years, uh, not the least of which, you know, would be like Talia. Um who you know mother damien um but uh the, the one that really stands out to me is uh selena kyle and uh that that's always been sort of like a ross and rachel like they're never really together because they always fall on the wrong side of whatever but um uh so this was kind of a nice nod to that too uh hey i'll have you know in the final episode rachel got off the plane she did get off the plane that's true i'm just saying they, they, they totally got together in the end but uh you know that took 10 years and uh but actually i should say um ross and rachel were a little bit more like the uh bruce and selena uh relationship because they've been very very on again off again for like the last you know since before friends i'm pretty sure yeah Yeah. um so this storyline follows that and i actually really enjoyed this book uh and 15 as well um it goes into a little bit more detail about uh what the actual circumstance of um catwoman's you know supposed 200 victims were and spoilers she didn't do it because like we said she's not a killer 
um, which is pretty cool. Um, we, we do get a, a little introduction into the person who did do it and, and, you know, some more about the motivations and things that drive both Bruce and Selena and, you know, sort of drive them together. Yeah. Um, she actually ends up, uh, not, not Selena, but the, the chick who actually did do it, like she ends up almost killing Batman. Bruce, yeah. So that was a, that was a, I think a really sweet way they did the reveal on that too. Mm-hmm. Cause we're like, Oh, he's going to go help that girl. And nope, not really. <laughs> no, that girl's kind of beyond help at this point. Yeah. She's fucked up. Uh, but Selena comes back and rescues Bruce, and that was, I think, kind of one of the one of the best moments I've seen between those two in, in a really long time with her showing up. Um, she had a chance to flee the country, but didn't because Batman was definitely on the outs. Yep. And uh, even goes to the mansion. Yep. And uh, I, I, I loved, <coughs> excuse me, the whole... Um, the wrap up for that particular little mini arc was it, it was perfect because um she delivers him make sure he's nurse being nursed back to health by alfred and stuff and then she takes off and uh you know bruce says something like she stole it and he was like no i inventoried the entire house like you asked you know like i always do when miss kyle visits and whatnot and he was yeah. like no she stole it and he was like what and and he was like the night like she she just took it from me yeah and i was like that was actually beautiful like that was an amazing i was a little on the fence about that line it, it's it, it was kind of beautiful but a little too on the cheesy side for bruce for, for me which is i think it's okay though when it comes to those two because that's, i, I kind of that's his... and, and that's why i was on like on the fence about it like yeah. uh she's it, kind of his kryptonite like it, it wasn't it's not a very great bruce wayne line to me but i think that it's sort of apropos here because um j- just like you said like it, it it's not any any you know uh character any other girl he's been involved with it, it's yeah. selena so um yeah it was okay I, I liked it okay but it was i wasn't in love with that line. You, so. you have to believe that that line is is completely credible if you believe that batman is willing to let a convicted killer have the night before yeah you know he takes her back to prison or whatnot. which at this so. point she's uh not really denying like he doesn't know i think yeah that that that's not what actually happened he, i she, think he suspects he he does i think and, and um you know it's not a far stretch to fig- say he probably figured fact, he does confront case, her but... about it like you know as she's attempting to run i think that final time when he was like there's there's that's not you selena you didn't do this yeah but um she kind of cops to it just a little bit so uh um not exactly. It's, I mean, it's not like she came out. She comes out, I think, and says, you know, like I totally killed two hundred people. But she kind of cops to it a little bit, or, or leaves him in a way that you know could make you think she's actually legit guilty. So, right. Anyway, uh, both great books. Like this is another thing that I'm really loving coming out of Rebirth is they're rekindling a lot of these things that they stayed away from in the New Fifty Two. Uh, yeah, I read the entire run of the New Fifty Two, and I don't really think there's a lot of uh, th- this sort of relationship, which is sort of one of the classic comic book relationships in my opinion um as much as you know uh, uh batman and the joker uh, uh, um, are one of the classic relationships in in comic books i think uh, uh batman and catwoman are as well so i was really happy to see these these two stories and how that worked out um especially following up with uh the the santa prisca storyline because there was a lot of interesting stuff in there too like there was that whole uh, uh double cross but not double cross thing in there that i really liked in that that set of books as well so Tom Tom King is the writer on Batman currently has been since the rebirth um started and as much as I love the Snyder run through New 52 one of the things we didn't see from Snyder was um 
aside from the death of the family where we saw the Joker, yeah, we didn't see any of Batman's typical Rose Gallery throughout that entire thing. I guess year one dealt with the Riddler, but it was it was telling a, a story from the past yeah. and whatnot. We didn't see current stuff with, with his bad guys. We had, um, you know, the weird seed dude. Bloom. Bloom, yeah, who, who was the final. Bloom, the Court of Owls. Um... Yeah, the Court of Owls, and that was great because that was something new that we hadn't explored before. And I'm not taking anything away from Snyder, but I did, by the time his run was over with the New 52, I really missed classic batman rogue stories yeah don't get me wrong uh new 52 batman actually is is probably one of the highlights of the new 52 for me um and i do like there was a lot of cool stuff that came out of it court of owls i think is one of the more memorable stories Mm -hmm. uh um in in batman lore uh death fuck it what is it which one is it no that was actually not um yeah no there was that run the run um where bruce you know quote unquote died um, that was, sort that was of part of the Bloom storyline. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, I think you're it right. was. It was actually so. There was two Joker runs uh, that he did, which Death of the Family was one, and then Endgame. Yeah, End Death Game, of the Family is what I'm thinking of. Endgame is the one where Bruce, quote unquote, died and then didn't have his memory and whatnot, and and that's when Gordon took over and was the Robo Batman for a while. Yeah. So, um, the New Fifty Two run was really good, but the, the you know it's just like the the whole reason for Rebirth is because the New Fifty Two run of all these different books were missing some of the things that really are things that we love about the characters, and I think things like the Bruce and Selena relationship, things like the classic Rogue Gallery, uh, those are things that you know they've tried to stick away from or get away from a little bit, and it's, well, not a little bit, and a lot in New Fifty Two they try to get away from a lot of that stuff, um, you know, to try to tell some new stories, and they did a really good job of it, but. At some point, you know, those are big parts of those characters. So Yeah. And honestly, um, if you want to see what Snyder does when it comes to handling some of the classic Batman villains, he's writing All-Star Batman, which is super good. Yep. Um, the first one was a two-face arc, and it was the first few issues. And then um, I just read, a, uh, I think, the most recent one, which was the Mr. Freeze story. And I think it's going to be one-off. Uh, but it was, yeah, it, I was read that one too. it was really good. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. All right, so we'll be back in just a second with some fresh beers. We're going to talk um, books, regular old bookie books. Word. Okay, we're back. So we're going to talk about a book that, ironically, uh, Matt just pulled off of his shelf. Can, um, can we talk about something else real quick? Yeah, well, I mean, it's your show. <laughs> I mean, you're like, Ralph Carmen, could I stop you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had a, a visit. Uh, unfortunately, Eddie did not get to meet up with him this time, but... Uh, uh, Sam uh, was home from China for a very brief period of time. In fact, he leaves tomorrow yeah. to go back. If you don't remember Sam, you can go check him out on some of our previous podcast roundtables. Any of especially. our Star Wars roundtables, yeah, yeah, Star Wars roundtables. He was there for the 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 um the episode seven, episode seven, and he also did the DC one uh, with uh, for the fucking the Batman movie, yeah. the Batman versus yeah. Superman Dawn movie. Justice. Yeah. yeah, so he's 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 been on the show a few times. In fact, he was on the show right before he left. Yeah, one of our more. Uh, recent well i will say more recent episodes we've done a lot of episodes but yeah anyway so he's he's visiting from china he's um home for good in july i think his last day is at the end of june so that's cool um but he mentioned that he cannot listen to the whatever show we are apparently not allowed in china yeah um you know i don't even know what i've said to piss off the chinese people so here's or the deal. specifically their government uh we're gonna work diligently with the chinese government to uh you know try and and get the the embargo on the whatever show lifted but it's not looking hopeful right now i mean we we lifted embargoes on cuba recently so there's hope are we allowed in cuba uh yeah 
Our show specifically, do you think? Uh, well, our show specifically, I don't know. That's true. We probably put all those sanctions right back in place. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If you're uh, if you're a Cuban national and you uh, listen to our podcast, let us know. Yeah. That'd be awesome. For lots of reasons. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it'd also be equally funny if you're like, uh, didn't, and or you, you know, somehow had to, you know, like, you know, tour your way through uh, to listen to the show. Dude, we'd have to make t-shirts and send them one or something if that was the case. Dude, we should. We should make t-shirts for sure. Yeah. Anyway. Why not? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so um, let's talk books. Um, so we don't talk books a lot because um, I think as we're not readers. Time, yeah, well, I like to read. I like to read, but um, and and I actually when I do read, I, I'm fairly voracious about it. Like the book we're going to talk about, I started and read over the course of like maybe two days, three days tops. Um, because when I find something I really like, I do just kind of burn through it. Uh, you know, like I want to get to that ending and and, and all that uh, pretty quickly. Uh, but also in particular, when a when a book grabs me the way that this one did, like it, it's uh, one of those books that I you know stayed up a couple of nights and read until like three a.m. or something like that. So anyway, uh, we I read this book. This book, uh, which I guess I can just tell you, there's no spoilers or anything. Uh, was called Ready Player One. Uh, funny enough, I mentioned it. I threw it in the show notes, and then you know Matt turns around and just grabs it off the shelf because it's sitting on the bookcase behind him. Uh, also, funny enough, he hasn't actually read it yet, though, uh, which I'm going to heavily encourage you to do. To, uh, one of the things I'll say about this book is that it is like a love letter to nerddom in general, um, especially particular types of nerds. Like uh, the whole premise of the book is fairly simple. Um, there is. Uh, the world's kind of gone to shit. We're 40 years out. I think it's like 2040 or something like that. There's an energy crisis. Everything's kind of down. Uh, massive economic depression. Um, and one of the ways that uh, we escape that in this book is, you know, through regular old escapism like we do today. Uh, and the way that that happens is through this thing called the Oasis. Um, the Oasis is basically what started off as a massive uh, multiplayer online role-playing game. Um, much, you know, like World of Warcraft, but much more advanced. Um, so, for example, you wear these goggles and they, you know, beam the thing directly at your retina. So when you're in them, you're, you know, basically fully immersed in in the thing. Um, they also have these like tactile feedback gloves so you can touch and, and, and you know, get the full, sensation. Full VR type. Yeah. And then if you got money, you can get what they call an immersion rig, mm-hmm. which is like this full chair setup bodysuit thing that gives you as much of the possible experience uh, as, you know, you could get without actually having it happen in reality. So um, that that's the real simple setup for it. Um, but it gets a little bit more interesting because the creator of this thing um, is this guy named uh, James Halliday. He is uh, somewhat of a geek savant. Um, he, he, you know, created the original version of the thing and has just recently died. And upon his death, he released a message to the whole Oasis, which at this point is pretty much most of humanity that's involved in in this thing in some way or another like it it, it's grown beyond massive multiplayer game and into more like um all kinds of different things like there are real businesses that happen solely inside of the thing rather than having a skype call you would go into this thing and have you know like a vr sort of thing the, the oasis itself is just gigantic to humanity but anyway uh halliday so halliday the creator of the thing died recently very very fucking wealthy um because at this point he's got you know one of the largest monopolies in the history of mankind probably at least in the setup of the book and as he dies he leaves a clue basically uh um that says you know if if you find my easter egg uh i've hidden an easter egg somewhere inside the oasis and if you find it uh you get my my fortune um so that sort of sets off the basic premise for the thing now why i want to say it's a love letter to nerddom is because 
Um, the way that they go about finding the Easter egg is that Halliday's included lots of various scenarios and riddles and stuff like that based on uh, primarily the 80s and all of the nerdy shit uh, that he liked in the 80s. So all the things that he grew up with and inspired him to start coding games because when he first started coding games, he was doing it on like an Amiga or something like that. Um, and, you know, so on and so forth. And he was playing, you know, sort of coin-op games at the arcade and all that kind of stuff. And so it goes through all of those different things. And there's just so much stuff in there that uh, I was really impressed to see included. Like, for example, do you know what a MUD is? Yes. Yes. Multi-user dungeon, for those of you that yep. don't know. Um, and MUDs were essentially the probably first uh, multi massive multiplayer online uh, game. Because they were text-based. Yeah, they were text-based. That's the primary thing about it. They were text-based. Zork, um, Zork was a mud. Zork was a mud, and it's in the fucking book. Uh, so uh, that, there's a nice nod to that. But um, and that's or actually return to Zork, I guess, is what it was. Uh, the original Zork wasn't a um, mud. I don't think, like as in multi-user. Um, return it, was return probably was yeah. but zork originally was a text-based role-playing game and it was like um you know back in the day before we could really do graphics really well and you wanted to get a rich experience and a storytelling experience and stuff like that and give the user some more like um y you know like uh, a lot of you know especially side-scrolling games you know like uh um where you, you just shoot the bad guy or you make mario jump or whatever um if you wanted to have something a little open more open than that and do some role playing and stuff like that you probably would go to something like this which was you know a text-based game where you you t typed uh you know north and that would move your character one square north and then you would get a text-based description as in like you're standing in front of a house with a mailbox that's you know three feet to the left or something like that and you know there's various things that you can interact with in in um the thing anyway uh but muds you know the muds get a nod in there and those are sort of like the precursor to massive multiplayer online games which is much the same as and, and larping on the other way yeah because larping is essentially a mud but in real life yeah uh another funny nod in here is that uh the president of the oasis council and or the the co-presidents rather of the oasis council um because the oasis is such a big thing that it actually has a a sort of semi-government as in um you know that helps make decisions about you know mechanics in the game and all that kind of stuff uh the the president of that was uh cory doctorow and will wheaton um, so that's kind of funny. Actually, the audiobook too, as it turns out, is narrated by Will Wheaton. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're a fan of Will Wheaton, which I am, um, y you'll kind of like that, I think. Um, but there's just so many cool, you know, like references and things like that, that like, I was like, man, I, I can't even, I, I'm just happy that there's another person ex that exists that understands these things and these references and gets this sort of feeling, um, that you go through as you grow up with this kind of thing, you know, like, I played the shit out of MUDs um, before, you know, probably moving on to World of Warcraft when it first came out. And it's really funny because like MUDs, for example, where once I moved into World of Warcraft, it was such a natural transition because the 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 uh, gameplay was essentially the same except for, of course, three-dimensional. Um, so lots of fun, just really cool, fun stuff in there. Um, tons and tons of references, especially if you're a, a geek of a certain age. Like if you came up through the 80s, early 90s-ish, um, there's a lot of things I think you'll find that you can appreciate about this. Um, or, you know, even today, if you if you play a lot of uh, World of Warcraft or other, you know, sort of MMORPGs, um, you're going to like a lot of the stuff in there because the, the a lot of the stuff in the Oasis translates nicely. But the other fun thing, too, is... The Oasis is vastly more advanced than anything we've got today in that um, there's hundreds and hundreds of worlds in an entire galaxy. And they've got like 
different zones. So they've got like magic zones and they've got technology zones and then some zones that cross over and they've got uh, all kinds of different worlds. You know, like if you can imagine a fantasy setting, uh, it's been modeled inside of the Oasis somewhere. So like, for example, um, our hero eventually picks himself up a uh, Firefly class starship uh, that he, uh, you know, names, I think, the Vonnegut or something like that. Um, but you know, all of that stuff's in there. There's, there's a DeLorean, you know, floating around in the mud there's, or in the, uh, the, the oasis. So anyway, book's super good. Story's really good. Um, but I really appreciated it if nothing else, because there's just so many nice nerdy nods that like you will love if, especially if you were into any of this stuff, even tangentially. I will, uh, I will definitely check it out. I don't know if I will actually be able to like read, read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I may actually check out audible and, and grab the, uh, the audiobook because I can listen to it when I'm driving and yeah, at work that, and, and stuff. So. You know, like I said, narrated by Will Wheaton, so that sort of adds another dimension of nerdiness to it that I, I didn't even get reading the book. So yeah. I actually have this book. The reason I own it um, is because it came in the um, I got a gift uh, loot crate one month. Oh, and that was in the loot crate. And this was in the loot crate. That's a fucking score, dude. Yeah. Um, so. so it's 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 um, was immediately like. There was a bidding war over who was going to get the rights to publish it, and then uh, almost immediately after getting the getting the book published, uh, the the movie rights were sold, and actually now it's going to be a Spielberg Spielberg film, I think. Dude, if they don't bring Zemeckis in there to try and adapt a little bit, like they're going to be mistaken. I, I think it's next year. I, I want to say that the movie adaptation is due next year. It might be this year though. I can't remember for sure. Um, I, I I know it is set to be a major motion picture. So yeah, and there's a ton of. Um, I mean, the, the cast is all there and they did a pretty solid job casting. But, you know, there's a lot of interesting, you know, things and concepts in the book, aside from just all of the cool nerdy shit that you get with it and, and references and stuff like that. But um, overall, it's one of my favorite books that I've read in a while. Um, you know, like I don't read a whole lot. I, I'd like to read more, but um, I read enough that, that that's fairly high praise. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's a New York Times bestseller. Yep. So it is not just a, a fluke that somebody liked the book. Quite like, honestly, is, it's been out for like five years now. It is. At it's this been point, around for a little while. It, it, there's a good chance that I'm talking to you, you and you're just like, oh, yeah, way to go, buddy. And you probably just learned about Firefly, too. You know. Like, yeah. um, but anyway, yeah, it's a fun book. You know, uh, speaking of New York Times, you don't really chast my ass. No, but I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> I brought talcum powder. It's not the response I usually get, but no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The New York Times is no longer uh, recognizing graphic novels as being eligible for the. Uh, ah, I know they killed list. that. They killed that in the bestseller list, um, yeah. and I don't remember why. I think that the reasoning behind that was that um, they're no rolling it into the Times the, anymore. Well, they're rolling it into the regular like fiction list. I think. I don't know. That so, seems a little weird. So are they just not having their own category? Yeah, I think that's correct. But a, but they can still make it to the top of the fiction list if they're that good. Yeah. Um, I I think there was some sort of like quasi uh, a logic that um, they were doing that because it's enough of it's it's enough of a category now that it doesn't really need its own separate thing. Yeah, but it, I'm still a little sad. I'd, I'd still rather have it be a separate thing. So at work the other day, I was actually fixing um, a receipt printer in cool. uh, the kitchen at uh, at one of our little eateries on campus there. Yeah. And uh, the the cook that's back there, he's actually he's a friend of mine. He was talking to me about how he was at his brother's house, and they came across this movie um, on one of the channels, and it was it was like a PG thirteen right, a Batman movie, and it was it was he was talking about the Killing Joke, <laughs> and uh, he was telling me about it about how, how cool it was, you know, and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, I was like, it was uh, actually adapted from a graphic novel, 
and uh, it was written by Alan Moore, who wrote Watchmen and stuff like that. And he was like, "Really? Like, yeah." And I was like, "Yeah, totally." So, yeah, I feel like um, you know, I, I I think graphic novels have a place. Like, that's kind of my point with that story. Is like, there's. It's kind of funny because, you know, there's, especially during the times that we were really growing up, you know, like if you read comic books, you were like this nerd, you know, to be shunned and stuff like that. Uh, But I like kind of where we're at now because it seems like more and more people are kind of like more open to the idea and you no longer have to be like, um, you know, like some pretentious asshole when you say it's a graphic novel, like because it's enough of a mainstream thing and people understand the, the, you know, that uh, especially now, like one of the big things is like, oh man, I can't believe how closely they they adapted that to the property. Like it's finally starting to get treated well in a lot of ways. Uh, so yeah, really cool. Yeah. So, uh, also this week we've got, actually this was a little bit uh, a while ago now, but, um, all five of our original space balls cast members, uh, stars, are going to be returning for the sequel, appropriately titled. And uh, if you've never seen Spaceballs, you won't get this. But if you've never seen Spaceballs, probably should just go watch that right now. Um, yeah. Uh, the sequel titled "The Search for More Money." I'm excited. I didn't I'm know this was happening. Way excited for this. Um. So Spaceballs is another one of those things that like uh yeah, just you just love. I I I've loved since the first time I've seen it. And here's the it's thing: it's just a super good movie and that if, I quote all the time too. If we've got new Star Wars movies that have original cast members in it, there's no reason we can't have a Spaceballs sequel. Yeah, yeah. So of course Mel Brooks. Uh, this is a Mel Brooks film. He has a brief uh cameo in it. Um, he stars the the uh. Is you he know, gonna be yogurt again? Yeah, he's gonna be yogurt. I assume. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be actually in the movie. Who would be the original Maybe he five? Could be a ghost yogurt. You know, you know, they couldn't actually. I mean, I guess they could get the characters, but I don't see John Candy reprising his role. Yeah, he's not going to be there unless they CGI him. No, that'd be weird. Um, so, you know, presumably we have. Uh, God, I can't even remember all their names now. Mel Brooks also played uh, the uh, bad guy, too. You know what? Actually, if I just scroll down, it'll tell me. Bill Pullman. Of course, played Lone Star. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daphne Zuniga, Princess Vespa. Um, and you're really going to make me do another page for this? What are you doing right now? This is kind of a shit link. I should have picked a better link. That's See, and they make the arrow look like it's going to go. Nah, I'm going to have to find a better link for this. Um, anyway, five original stars going to be in the second movie. Um, I can't think of who else would be in there. Uh, uh, whoa, you know what would actually be really kind of shocking uh, if they got uh, Rick Moranis, Rick Moranis, because he's kind of retired. He kind of has been. I bet he'd do it though. And Dick Van Patten's dead, right? He also, well, here you go. He also confirmed that the characters would be back and that there yeah. will be a recast. Dick, huh. Dick Van Patten is dead, so he's not going to be the king. I, I don't think he will. Um. Joan Rivers <laughs> as as the uh, droid. Fuck, and John Hurt was in it. Yeah, this this is getting sad now. No kidding, Mike. You made great. We made Spaceballs sad. Well, wait oh, a man, Daphne's still hot though, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she can still be my princess. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, again, progressive feminism, whatever. But she's gorgeous. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, well, that's she's standing in front of a Nip Tuck uh, banner, so presumably yeah, she was on that probably show. A little older, yeah. And that's that's got to be five, ten years now. Yeah, but still, she. I mean, she aged pretty well for the twenty before that. So yeah, good on her. Yeah. All right. Um. So that's so our Spaceballs. So depressing news of the as week. that that conversation was, we're still excited for Spaceballs too, because why not? 
Yeah, basically. Um, all right, so let's talk some wrestling. All right. Um, so, yeah, the this is the rest of the show. So you know, Rob, you can tune out now. Rob, if you don't <laughs> if you don't want to listen to me yammer on about about wrestling, yeah. Um, all right, so Monday, uh, immediately following uh, Royal Rumble, we had uh, Triple H come to the ring, uh, basically uh, telling Seth Rollins that he's done playing games. He's thrown down. Seth Rollins comes out, and before he can hit the ring, is ambushed, blindsided by Samoa Joe. Yeah. Uh, Eddie and I just watched this uh, segment right before we uh, started the show. And there is a uh, pretty brutal beatdown that takes place. It ends up in the ring, and Seth's knee uh, bends in a way that knees are not supposed to. Yeah, they really are kind of a one-way thing, and, and it, it didn't go that way. So last uh, year and a half ago, he actually, um, in a match with Kane at a house show, he uh, fucked up his knee. <laughs> yeah. Uh uh tore his acl mcl and um ruptured his meniscus i think that's the proper terminology for those things sure thing why not uh surgically repaired uh came back faster than was expected uh but seemed whole uh not not any problem but unfortunately this is the same knee that uh that that happened to so He's not out for WrestleMania for sure. In fact, they're still hopeful that he can be there, but um, it seems like they're kind of monitoring this week to week. Um, it was addressed by WWE. This is not a work. This is a shoot. Like, he's legitimately hurt. Yeah. Um, and watching the video, it's not surprising. Yeah, no, you can kind of see the point where his knee bends in a way that knees don't bend. Yeah. So um, th- that's a hell of a bummer. There's a lot of reasons that's a hell of a bummer. We were trying to t- talking about this in the pre-show, um, and this is actually kind of going to nicely lead us into our next topic, which is uh, you know talking about WrestleMania in general and our you know sort of quasi predictions for that, or my quasi predictions and Matt's you know much better informed predictions. <laughs> um, I'm not Dave Meltzer. I don't have all the answers. Yeah, but. Uh, but this would be kind of a bummer because number one, uh, a Rollins Triple H match at WrestleMania that that's a that's a good match. Um, it's a license to print money. Yeah, basically. Uh, Rollins is a guy that I think the crowd's pretty over for, and Triple H at this point sort of has like uh, um, superstar status. So whenever he gets in the ring, it's it's uh, uh something fun uh for the crowd and you know for fans. Honestly, when Rollins came back from his knee surgery, um, he could have turned face then because the crowd was really, really on his side when he came back. And he fucking got out into the ring and was like, fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Really tried to pour on the heel persona again. But um, honestly, it's, it didn't take because people at that point, like, that's the thing is it's harder to be a heel without personal issues. Like, you can't just be a heel for the sake of being a heel because when you're good, AJ Styles, for example, when you're good... Yeah. You're good. Yep. And people recognize that, especially in a day and age where people understand that the business is a work um, and that it takes good workers to be able to do that kind of thing. Um, John Cena versus AJ Styles. There wasn't a guy in that match uh, from the most recent Royal Rumble that like you weren't rooting for at one point or another because. Yeah, for sure. They're good. Yeah. So um, Rollins embracing the uh, the babyface role, um, I think, finally is going to be helpful if he isn't out long term. Yeah. 
So um, we were talking about this again before the show started, and one of the things is um, <coughs> they really got to make that call. I mean, WrestleMania is coming up pretty fast, so they got to really make a pretty solid call about whether or not he's going to be in it or not. Um, because if not, then they got to set up something else for that match. I mean, I guess they could pull like a that what was it like the women's title match? It was supposed to be, I think Sasha and uh, Charlotte might have been. I don't remember. It was like three or four months ago at one of the one of the pay per views, and uh, oh, that was the SmackDown title that was uh, Becky. Oh, Becky Lynch, yeah, Becky um, Lynch was, was supposed be Becky to be there, but she was Bliss, sick or something. And they they threw Naomi in with yeah, Alexa, yeah. It, which was a non title match. Yeah, um, but there was kind of a weird like all of a sudden there's just another guy there, and they can't do that for WrestleMania. And the match didn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, they can't they can't really have uh, um, you know Triple H just go in there and wrestle just you know whatever dude's not doing anything that day. Um, so if they're going to start setting something up, they need to do it pretty quick. Uh, so I think we'll probably get a good idea about who's actually going to be in, the, in in WrestleMania, uh, you know, probably in the next few weeks. Yeah. Um, I know that Elimination Chamber, which is next Sunday, there's uh, Alexa Bliss is going to uh, face Naomi. Naomi's challenging for the title. I don't see Naomi going over because I don't see her being the title holder going into WrestleMania. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, who would be the number one for that? Probably Becky Lynch would be my suspicion. See, I was reading this. I mean, there's a couple good. There's a couple. There's a couple girls that actually have potential. Uh, you got Mickey James back. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, she's the seasoned veteran at this point because she's definitely the. Uh, um, she's been the most since the seasoned day. Yeah, the most seasoned of the uh, the crew. Um, you've got Nikki Bella. She's she's in a pretty intense program with uh, Natalia right now, though. So I don't necessarily see that coming to fruition. Um, and then, of course, you got Becky Lynch. So there's, there's, see, I could see them. Uh, so Alexa's the heel, <coughs> and I think Becky's pretty over with the fans. I could see, you know, but this is the kind of the thing with the women's title. I think they want to try to keep it interesting. So basically, they turn those titles over like every two weeks. Mickey's heel too, and that's that's the part that makes me feel like that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I could see, I could see Becky Lynch going over on on that match, and then you know, probably within in the next week, you know, on SmackDown, yeah. they they turn it over again. I don't. I don't see Naomi going over um, and being the champion at WrestleMania, just because of the fact that I don't think she's quite there yet. She's getting there, and but um, just I mean, we we saw a she's, pretty big botch at um, a match God, a few months back. I don't yeah. remember what what pay per view that was, but um, but it she's was just kind of massive. I mean, the women's the women's. Um... But both both the Raw and SmackDown rosters, there's kind of two or three girls I think that have, you know, really the the um, you know, skill, talent, and and you know, just fan following, you know, and so the, it's not that hard. And I don't think Naomi's quite there yet. Don't get me wrong, she's not bad, uh, but I don't think she's quite there yet. And I think really on the SmackDown side, it's probably Alexa Bliss, Nikki Bella, and uh, um, Becky Lynch. And I guess now when you throw Mickey James into the pot, that would be the other one that I would think. Uh, Natalia's good though. That's the yeah. thing. You you, you can't just disc- discount the fact that she is the uh, oh niece yeah. of Bret Hart. Yeah, you're right. No, I, mean, I, f- I forgot about her entirely. The the SmackDown Women's Division is actually a bit more rich than even the Raw Women's Division is because Raw's basically got Charlotte, uh, Sasha, and uh, Bailey. Yeah, they got Nia Jax, but again, Nia Jax isn't. She's nowhere near ready to main event. Right. Uh, and then that's that's kind of it. They're they're pretty thin over there. Um, I imagine Asuka from NXT when she finally uh, jumps Moves to the main up. roster, she's yeah. she's going to be on the Raw brand for that reason. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, she's wicked too. 
Really? Yeah, you should check out the network and and uh, some of the most recent NXT shows and and check out Oscar. She's a badass. Okay, cool. Um, the other big piece of speculation we wanted to talk about, uh, or I wanted to talk about anyway, is uh, again reading a Reddit thread today. Um, you know, they were talking about um, what what are they going to do with Taker? Um, I think pretty much everybody at this point thinks that Taker's not got a lot of matches left in him, um, especially after watching yeah, Rumble. Watching him at the Royal Rumble was hard. It was a little tough. It was kind of like watching George Bush being pushed around in a wheelchair mm-hmm. at the Super Bowl today. Like, it's... Yeah, I mean, not quite that bad because he's not being pushed around in a wheelchair, but he just doesn't look like he should be in the ring anymore. Or he's getting really close to the point where he doesn't look like he should be in the ring anymore. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, Mark Calloway slash Undertaker, like, I'm a huge Mark, you know, for that guy. Like, I, I oh, grew yeah. up watching The Undertaker. He showed up at Survivor Series 91 and it has been a mainstay for since then fucking and, ever, and honestly yeah. in the last couple of years he's made more appearances than he did the the previous few years before that but there's kind of a reason that he's not around all the time anymore and i get it vince is gonna you know he's gonna go to that well as often as he can um but it, it he, taker still gets a pop every have, time have you ever thing. watched wrestlemania 3 i don't think so the match between hogan and andre the giant Mm-mm. it was hard to watch because andre you could tell was in pain the entire time oh okay and he only did it because Vince offered him a huge payday to come in and do that. And I get the feeling that that's probably kind of a similar situation to what's going on with the undertaker because honestly, and trust me, the undertaker has done this for so many years. It's, it's, it's probably not an easy thing for him to look at and say, I'm not doing this again. This is what, you know, I'm never going to wrestle again. Um, but it's it's probably time. See, that's that's the thing I was thinking too. Like Taker, I mean, I, there's no. I just, I read another link today that was like a contract leak leak from uh, WCW, um, and that was amazing. Like one of the things that became obvious is one of the reasons WCW went over went under is because they were paying some dudes a lot of fucking money that probably weren't worth the money they were paying them. Uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash came in and and kind of made guaranteed back ends. Yeah, uh, a thing. Yeah, so um, anyway, there's no leak like that for the WWE right now. Um, but I have to imagine that, that Taker probably makes a ton of fucking money per match um, or whatever his contract looks like. I have to imagine it's like a walk-on per match type of thing at this point. Or maybe he's got it in his contract to do, you know, so many pay-per-views a year and, and you know, maybe a, a handful of, you know, like Raws and whatever. Uh, but I just, I don't feel like he could possibly need the money at this point unless he has a real big gambling or blow problem. No, um, he's, he's, he's probably been pretty smart with his money. I would yeah. Say. It, it, so he can't possibly need the money. So the only reason you keep doing it this long is you really like what you're doing. Um, so that's, what's bumming me out about this a, a little bit is like, uh, it's one of those jobs that you just can't do forever. Um, yeah. and, uh, none of the guys in the business really, you know, it, it's impressive that he's done it for as long as he has. He's got to be one of the longest running careers, if not the longest running career probably in the business yeah because he was he was around before he was the undertaker uh he was mean mark calloway for a while uh he was part of a tag team called the twin towers i believe in wcw way back in the day yeah um but as far as being wwe like we're 36 years almost yeah so that's that's a long career that is a long career indeed so um you have to imagine 26 years yeah, you have to imagine that he, he likes doing what he's doing. And so that that's what's bumming me about this match. Um, so anyway, to the speculation part, um, one piece of speculation that's getting a little bit of popularity is that uh, Roman Reigns is going to retire him at WrestleMania. Uh, yeah, so 
what I've heard is not necessarily a retirement match, uh, although it's it could come down to that, obviously, and, and you know, theoretically he should be done as sooner rather than later. But um yeah, it's pretty well a lock, I think, at this point that it's gonna be Roman and Taker at WrestleMania because of the uh, impromptu elimination in the Royal Rumble by Roman Reigns. Yeah. Uh I don't necessarily know that I like it. And I don't necessarily know that I like that that Roman's probably going to go over. Uh, okay, so when I said retirement, the, there's only one way that I can envision this going that's not complete bullshit. And that is uh, Taker goes, like you said, Reigns goes over Taker. Um, there's some, you know, kayfabe reason for uh, Taker not being able to return. Uh, you know, maybe whatever it is, you know, Roman spears him and it breaks his back or whatever they want to use. For there the, could be a retirement clause in the match. There could be a retirement clause in the match. I think I think something like that is a possibility. And the only way I think that works is that they're going to use this for a heel turn for Roman because he's just not the, the fans don't like him right now. And they keep wanting to push him, and I just don't think he's got it uh, uh, with his current face run. And a lot of people have been ca- calling for a heel turn for Reigns for, for forever now. And, I mean, you can hear, um, you know, go back and listen to our Royal Rumble thing. One of the most annoying things about that match is him being number 30 and coming and clearing the ring and eliminating Taker. Like, that That was that was pretty goddamn galling. I, I, I didn't thought. know why that bothered me so much until I got to thinking about it. And I thought, you know, he was in a title match earlier. If he had gone over and beaten Kevin Owens for that title, then he would have gone into the Royal Rumble at number 30 as the champion. And that's just something that doesn't happen. Yeah. So, like, the booking was a little sloppy on that end of it. Um, I didn't hate that he was in the Rumble if he hadn't already been in that match. And coming in at number 30, the audience groaned. It was kind of a a foregone conclusion at that point that they were going to have Roman win. And then he didn't. Randy Orton was able to, to get the best of him and eliminate him. So I thought that worked well in Randy's favor, um, but I, I honestly think that's the only reason people care that Randy won it, too, is that Roman didn't, and that's kind of not fair to Randy. Yeah, and that does that's what doesn't, I mean, like you said, the booking problems, it doesn't really make sense that they're going to have him go, uh, um, have Owen, Owens go over in, in the title match fight, and then have him come in at number 30, just to be completely anticlimactic. Like... Uh, you know, the, the, it, I don't know, the booking for the whole rumble at that, uh, or at least for the actual rumble itself just was weird as shit. I don't, yeah. I don't know what there they was were good trying spots to accomplish in it. there. Um, Braun Strowman looked really strong. He didn't look green anymore. Like that's the thing is like, if you watch him in last year's rumble compared to this year's rumble, um, number one, he's in a lot better shape than yeah. he was. Uh, number two, uh, they're really building him into, into somebody who's going to be a monster. And I think that's going to be a fun one to watch develop over time. Uh, here's here's what I do if I'm turning Roman heel and he's facing the Undertaker at, at at WrestleMania. If Taker can go out and have a good match, I would still have Taker go over. That's what I was just gonna say and, too. And the way I would do it is I would do this. I would have Taker go over, but have Roman pull out all the stops and even try and cheat to win. Yep. Okay, so you've got the the makings of the heel right there. And then you have him absolutely go ape shit after he loses. And and hopefully the Seth Rollins Triple H match is after and you have Roman go out there and turn on Seth Rollins since they were former members of the Shield. Everybody pops when the two of them are together and they do anything. Yep. 
that's the only time Roman ever gets pops is anytime like it's a, the a shield. potential shield kind of a thing. And you have him absolutely stab Seth Rollins in the back and side with Triple H. I I just really don't see like, yeah, I'm not sure that there would be a stupider thing for them to do than have Reigns go over clean on Taker. Or or just go over on Taker at all, especially at this at this stage in the game. Yeah. They really uh when it comes down to it, like whatever Mal Callaway wants to do, I think is what they should do. Uh, he's more than earned earned uh that, I think, in in the business. Well, he lost at WrestleMania once to Brock, so he doesn't have the undefeated streak anymore. Right? Yeah. So that's done. I don't think there's any value to having him lose again. And the, especially not to Roman because that's what I'm saying. Like the only way, the only way I think they have him lose at WrestleMania this year is if it's going to set up something big or set up a guy big, and the the audience would just fucking hate it if it was for Roman Reigns. Yeah. And so like I think I, I think you you actually run the risk of people walking away from from WWE and not watching it again if you have Roman go over a taker. I think that's probably true. I'm not probably one of those because I understand. You know that the sacrifices. There's have to a lot be made of other matches that aren't it's Roman not a decision still. that I would agree with, agree with. But I do very much want to see the Roman Reigns heel turn and and that run. I I think you're entirely right. They need to do the heel turn with Reigns because honestly, I think that's the only way. Like they they keep pushing him as the you know they want him to be kind of the face of the company. Well, here's the thing: he's not bad. He's not even bad in the ring. His match with Kevin Owens was a good match. Well, it's it's just like the die Rocky die thing. Like, yeah, the Rock wasn't bad at that time either. It's just the fans are so fucking under. Uh, you know, they they just don't <laughs> like him at this point, um, and it's because he's boring. Um, um yeah, I was, or, or at this point, it's boring. Uh, I was listening to a, a podcast with Bruce Pritchard, and he was talking about Kurt Angle. And uh, Bruce Pritchard is a guy who worked for WWE for twenty two years. He's one of the longest uh, running employees to to work um, in the back. With uh-huh. Vince, especially, he was he was kind of one of the head storyline guys. Um, he he was in charge of kind of keeping certain talents in line and whatnot. Uh, he was also Brother Love. If you ever saw Brother Love back in the day, okay, uh, I love you. Yeah, that was Brother <laughs> Love. Um, but he was there when Kurt was uh, down in uh, God, was it OVW at the time? Their uh, developmental territory, no, and yeah. and um. Oh God! It was one of uh, one of Dory Funk's uh, Funk and Dojo training camps, and Kurt Angle was was there um, when he was just breaking into the business, and he went out and cut a babyface promo. But he was talking about his accolades as an Olympian and this, that, and the other thing. And Bruce Prichard basically looked over at at Dory Funk and was like, "That's the best heel promo I've ever heard." Yeah. And Dory Funk was pissed. He was like, "No, he's a babyface. Like that's ridiculous. Like why would you even think that?" And he was like, "Because everything that he said was true." And I hated him for it. That's that's exactly how he deb- debuted too when he came out. Yeah, almost immediately he came out and he did the whole. I was an Olympian and I got all these medals and look and at me, I'm so cool. And that's and that's exactly how he uh, got over. I think with the fans to begin with. That's what we're getting with Roman. Only they're not embracing the fact that we don't like him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's not that we don't think that he's talented. I guess there's a, there's a few of us that watch it that that don't think he's got much talent in the ring. I mean, he's, he's not got, the best worker. No, but, but he's, he's a lot better. He's but he's not a guy like he could be a big guy in in the company. Um, but just like you know, like we talked about last week, it's just that they're just shoving him down your throat so hard. And if they would just if they would just do the heel turn, let him have a good, decent, long heel run, 
then they could turn him face and there might be a little bit of credibility. I, I really, and I've said this before, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show that much, but if you go back and watch uh, some of Razor Ramon's old matches, uh, Scott Hall, uh, whether it's the WWF stuff or whether it's the um, WCW stuff after he he jumped and went over there as part of the NWO, um, Scott wasn't a fast-paced worker. Yeah. He was a big dude. But he knew how to manage his time in the ring. And instead of just laying out and, you know, selling for an extra long time and stuff like that in order to slow the pace of the match down, he would grab grab an opponent and put in, in a, you know, the abdominal stretch, like where he's kind of yeah stretched out in front of him. And he grabbed the rope for leverage sometimes when the ref wasn't looking and just stuff like that. And there's there's things like that that a heel Roman could do and adopt. And people would appreciate his work a lot more. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Like, just, just if Roman studied, studied Scott Hall and just picked up a few of those little nuances, like, it, he's not far off from being really, really good. He just needs to tweak a few things. And then, if they, <coughs> excuse me, they need to let him go on the mic a little bit more. Let him go off script. Let him do his own thing. See, and I think it's, I think it's a lot more fun to have a heel do that too. Like, the the um you know don't, don't get me wrong we love a good promo uh you know cut by a face too but um you know like when i think about the 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 best promos that the rocks cut it's it's during his heel years um so you know i i don't know i just they need to do something else with that but anyway back to back to reigns versus undertaker i i i completely agree with you undertaker still needs to go over he still needs to win that match but that could still be the turn for um reigns like I think that would probably be the best of both worlds if they're gonna if they're gonna book that match to begin with, um, then I think that's the way you go. G- give give Undertaker the win, uh, let him go out on a nice high note. He's done plenty for the business over the years. Uh, it, it's I think the right thing to do. And then if you do the heel turn with Roman at the same time, it just makes it even better. I, um, I think that's that, that's better for the company overall too. The only question I think then is, um, you know, who do they want their top face guy to be? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I, I guess I'd probably lean towards like Rollins or something like that. Um, but anyway, for Raw, you mean? Yeah. Uh, well, the other match that I think we're getting almost as a for sure thing is going to be Jericho Owens at WrestleMania. Yeah, I think that's probably true too. So there's going to be a split happen between those two. Now I don't know how long Jericho is going to stick around. Has he started? I mean, he, he does the podcast. Has he started talking about like the aftertime? I haven't listened to his podcast in a while. Okay, it's not that I I don't. Well, I mean, I've got. I'm kind of his. His is one of the ones that I kind of have a few episodes stored up that I need to actually like blow through and whatnot. Gotcha. Um, but since he's been back and and involved in TV, he doesn't talk about it as much. So I don't I don't know, but um, I have heard that Fozzie maybe uh starting some festival tours for the summer and and that they may be doing another record and stuff like that too so i imagine that that might be a good time for him to step away if, if yeah. not and he, you know he's still young enough i think that he could step away for a while and come back and just like uh you know some of the other guys that have done that he'd definitely get a pop for that so yeah uh and he's the thing is is i hate to see him walk away right now because he's, he's going through one of the most successful periods of his career that I've ever seen. And like he, he did some amazing stuff from the attitude era and through, um, you know, the ruthless aggression era and stuff like that. But, uh, what he's doing right now is just fucking incredible. Yeah. So he's, he's, 
you know, like we're both big Jericho fans. So, I mean, I, mean, I guess we could sit here and fillet him for the rest of the, the podcast. Yeah. But I mean, that's not what this is about. But yeah, I mean, it's just he's he's good. And I'm gonna, I'm looking forward to that match. I don't know. Yeah. When it comes to Raw, like I don't know who you have as your top baby face at this point, because like, it would be Rollins. You know, they, they've got some guys, though, like um, th- there's a lot of guys, I think, in there um, that, that aren't being utilized as well as they could be. Uh, yeah. So I, I think they could work. They could work that. But the thing is, is like you, you can only force something so hard and they've been forcing, you know, like this is the other co- complaint that I've heard, um, you know, as I'm getting back into it. This is the other thing I've heard leveled against Cena a lot, which is, uh, you know, they, they've just kind of they force they're forcing Cena or they, they were forcing Cena for so long. That's why it was uh, so hard for the crowd to get over for him. Um, so, you know, I, I think they just kind of need to, you know, try try some other talent and let them, you know, see what they can do. Cena's Cena's problem is is kind of a little bit different than the rest of of like roman's issue and stuff like that and here's here's the issue with cena cena worked non-stop full-time for a lot of years that weren't so great for the business there wasn't a lot of guys that were up in that upper echelon where cena was and so cena got stuck doing a lot of matches against cm punk and a lot of matches against randy orton and that's it I've heard that, and I've also heard he's kind of like a four move guy. Um, well, which you know that that was one of the fun things of watching this this rumble. Um, yeah, and I think that was a little bit of like a okay, you guys can shut up now because obviously I can do stuff. But um, yeah, well, I mean, there's there's some. I'm not saying there's not issues with his work. Like his punches don't necessarily look believable, and his STF is really sloppy looking in a lot of cases. But um, that doesn't mean he's not willing to put in the work and and just be that guy. But yeah, he does get kind of a bad reputation for uh, you know the, the couple things that he does wrong. It seems like people really fixate on, and and especially in the world of internet, uh, where you've got a, a vocal minority that are willing to just go out and just run roughshod on somebody. I don't know. You know, coming back into it relatively recently, I kind of get I get the hate for Ro- Roman, honestly. Um, because you know I'm I'm only back in for a little bit, and it's kind of like I'm already sick of Roman. So if I was dealing with this for years, you know, like I totally get why people, you know, just solid booze every time he, he comes on, comes out practically. Well, um, but Cena, you know, again, maybe this is just because I'm watching, you know, a particularly good era of his career. But I I don't get the hate for Cena at all. No, I mean Cena's he's such an incredible worker and. He's got a reputation, I guess, for being a little bit of a backstage politician. I mean, I don't think probably anything nearly to the extent that Triple H had. Um, no, th- that's but, one of the things that's kind of been funny is I've heard Triple H lots. Like, I, I was actually watching a video actually earlier with uh, Ken Shamrock, uh, and Shamrock was actually uh, calling out Triple H. Not yeah. not exactly calling him, calling him out, but it was just sort of like a you know, he seemed you know pretty calm, but he was kind of like yeah. And I I heard Triple H didn't really you know like me or whatever for whatever reason and. Well, he he had influence. I mean, and this is even before he was dating the boss's daughter, slash married her and whatnot. But like, um, him and Shawn Michaels had Vince's ear because, I especially mean, Michaels. Michaels was one of the top workers for quite a while, and, and you know one of the bigger stars. And then, uh, especially, I want to say, early two thousands was when Triple H really took off. It's hard not to listen to your top guys. I mean, well, so there was the click. Yeah. The original click was uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Shawn Waltman slash Xbox, 
and then Triple H. Triple H came into it a little bit later because he came, he signed with the company uh, a little bit after the rest of them. Um, but uh, it, those guys lived and breathed the business of professional wrestling, and all they talked about in their spare time when they were driving down the road together was things that they could do to make the business better yeah. and whatnot. Now, there was the infamous Madison Square Garden, uh, the curtain call, as they called it, which was um, Kevin and Scott were both leaving. They were going to WCW. That was their last their last match. Um, and I forgot what the main event was. I think it was I think it was Kevin Nash and Shawn Michaels. And uh, following the end of the match, Nash and and Shawn, there was a big hug in the ring, and then Scott Hall and Triple H came in. And joined in, and there was like a big four-way hug. Um, uh, X-Pac was injured at the time, so he wasn't there. But uh, Scott and Kevin left. Shawn Michaels was the top guy, so he wasn't going to take the heat. He wasn't going to get punished for it. And it probably wouldn't have been a big deal, except for there was video footage of it that surfaced because somebody had recorded it, and mm. it got out. Um, and nobody nobody knew it was going to end up being a big, a big deal, but like... Everybody in the back was pissed because they broke kayfabe and they exposed the business and this, that, and the other thing. Um, Triple H was scheduled to have won King of the Ring later that year. Wow. And did not. In fact, he they buried him and he ate shit for a long time. In fact, Vince told him, this is the point in your career where you learn to eat shit and like it. <laughs> so um, it's not like Triple H didn't pay his dues. No. Um, he, he took the brunt of that entire thing. That I mean is well known to people who are in the in the know, um, you know, as far as the business is concerned. Everybody knows about the curtain call at Madison Square Garden now, and uh, Triple H is he he bore sole responsibility for it, even though he was the most minor piece of it at the time. Well, um, and there's a lot of people who speculate that he politicked his way in, and that is because he's married to the boss's daughter and whatnot. But I'm kind of one of those guys. It's like you know. I kind of see Triple H having the same role with the company either way because he was. I mean, you can't dismiss it. That's definitely helped him get his his foot in the door. There, I think there's got to be a little bit of that too. Like there's there's it's just sort of natural, you know. You don't be the boss's daughter and knock at the boss's ear. You know, he was he was in tight with Vince though before that. <clears throat> that's true. So, I mean that that's I think one of the ways that that relationship came I, about. I don't probably. think you end up in a storyline with Stephanie McMahon. If you're not tight with Vince, if Vince doesn't trust you, yeah, you know, you're probably right. So, all right. Um, so let's talk about our retro match tonight. Uh, tonight we watched uh, King of the Ring 1998, uh, Mankind versus Undertaker in a Hell in the Cell match. This is probably the penultimate Hell in the Cell match. Uh, this this is just a straight up legend, I think, in general now. Um, th- this actually even transcends like even if you're not a wrestling fan, you might have heard or seen footage or you know whatever yeah. from this match, uh, because it's probably one of the more brutal things that they've ever done, and not killing Owen Hart withstanding. <laughs> yes, uh, which we didn't technically see because the cameras cut before we saw Owen Hart, you know, actually plummet to his death. Yeah, um, we probably won't talk about that particular pay-per-view on the show i doubt it uh over the edge 99 if anybody's interested uh if you can find the original uh the original cut of it you have a lot of commentary from jr and the king being very sober and not 
not in kayfabe mode at all like during that um it's the the network has it but it's not they cut basically that entire piece out because there's no reason yeah there's no reason to put it in yeah so anyway <laughs> on to a less depressing uh match yeah so yes um this is king of the ring 1998 uh mankind versus undertaker this was not even the main event of the evening there was a title match that was on after this between stone cold steve austin and kane yeah and goddamn i like i'd hate to be those two guys after this match because yeah. th- this match was ridiculous uh okay so <coughs> hell of the cell giant cage uh the the match starts off essentially with mankind coming out with a chair throwing the chair on top of the cell and then climbing up there, basically daring Undertaker to come out and come get him on top of the cell. Um, Undertaker does, and within the first like two minutes of the match, I want to say like a minute 15, minute 30, somewhere in that range. 90 seconds, I think. Yeah, Undertaker throws Mankind off of the cage through the Spanish through the announce Spanish table. Announce table. <laughs> uh, and it's probably one of the biggest bumps in the business. Like, that's there's not... Um, the cage is like 16, 17 feet tall. It's it's up there. It's up there. Uh, you know, landing on a table never feels good anyway, I would assume. Uh, Pretty sure his head hit the monitor I that think, was there. I think so. Um, like, okay, so to, I guess to preface this match, uh, Mick Foley talks about the match in his book, um, Have a Nice Day. And the way he describes it is to say that I don't remember this match. I had to watch it. Because uh, I I was so messed up during the match, I could not remember what happened. Uh, there's another anecdote where uh, um, he turns to Mark Mark Calloway, who's you know of course the Undertaker, and says, "Did I do the thumbtack thing?" Because um, at that point, uh, that was one of his his things. And he uh, Mark Mark looks at him and says, "Dude, look at your arm," because he's still got thumbtacks poking out of him everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so. There's a lot. I mean, th- these are probably some of the biggest bumps in the business uh, yeah. taken during this match. There's, there's um, a reason Mick Foley is known as a hardcore legend. Yeah, he he legit is. So uh, 16, 17 feet off into the Spanish announce table. We're 90 seconds into the match. Yeah, um, I thought they did a couple things in this match that actually did a, a lot toward um, selling the legitimacy of, of those bumps. Uh well, following following his crash to the table, one of the things, and I've got my half a page of notes here that I took. Um, they raised the cell to get the MT crew over to the the table and stuff because they got a stretcher and they got all the other stuff going on. And meanwhile, like Undertaker is on top of the cell and they're they're actively raising it so that they can get these people through. Yeah. Uh, so that was nice. Uh, the other thing that was interesting here is um, we got probably one of the the most memorable JR calls ever, which is uh, you know what does he say good god almighty he just broke him in half yeah. you know uh and that's a legit reaction you can actually hear the guys they're they're um almost breaking kayfabe a little bit because he's like they need to stop the match because apparently they didn't know that spot was coming um that 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 spot was a surprise to the announcers and you can hear uh jr and uh um the king jerry jerry the king lawler and they're talking and they're just slightly subdued too um they i they didn't know that spot was coming and i think when when uh uh jim ross is saying you know they got to call this match they got to stop it get him out of here i think he was legit concerned they probably needed to get him out of there he he was like no no really yeah he said like no really like this this needs to be end, ended now like we uh uh there's a shot of vince and i don't know that vince is as good of an actor as he was to portray the the look of concern that we saw uh after foley goes to that table like i i uh 
Yeah, I I think everybody I've was a little the surprised match before, and I'm still like on the edge of my seat while I'm watching this happen today yeah. when I when I rewatched it. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of surprise from basically everybody around that that match kept going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this was this was kind of uh interesting. So they um they raise the cage. They they lower it, and then Undertaker starts coming off. Meanwhile, they got the stretcher up almost to the top of the ramp, and Mick just gets off and charges back. Again, climbs up to the top of the cage. So, you know, Taker heads back up. Heads back up. Um, and then we get the the famous uh, choke slam on through. top of the cage, through the cage. Yeah. That's another interesting moment, too. Uh, that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, so I was reading about this one earlier today. Um, just reading about the match in general, because one of the things that as I'm watching this is going through my head is like, how much of this is like, like most of this shit is not at all close to safe. Like that, that table spot was uh, very much on the edge of anything that I would consider safe in the business. First off, Foley is really good. He takes that, he, he lands that, that table, uh, as well as you could. But it's a big fucking spot, and I, I I don't know that um like there's a reason they don't do it anymore. Those those kind of things are the reason that Foley is a broken man these days. I mean he's it, he's lost hundred pounds, and that's great, but he can still barely walk some days. So yeah, um the but the second this one of the the second you know the bigger one of the bigger spots of the evening is uh, Undertaker choke slamming Foley through the cage. Um, that's another spot that wasn't supposed to happen. That cage was not actually supposed to break. And uh, Foley said, the only reason I lived is because I didn't, I, that, that's like the worst choke slam I, I, I've ever taken in my life. He didn't land the, the slam right. So when he went through the cage, it actually uh, worked in his favor for his landing. But uh, there's a couple of things. Number one is the ringing was harder back then. Uh, number two is it legit knocked his fucking tooth out. Um, yeah. For the rest of the match, you can see there's this little white fleck uh, up in his nostril. Kind of hanging out in his nose, yeah. That, that's his fucking tooth. Um. So his tooth is hanging out in his nose uh, for the rest of the match, essentially. Um, so, yeah, that was another just huge, like, you watch that one. That does not look at, like a, at all like, uh, oh, yeah, he, he meant to take that bump. That is, like, legit, like, he was knocked unconscious. There's concern from basically everyone yeah. at this point. And uh, that he got up at all was pretty amazing. Yeah. And you got to keep in mind, too, up to this point, the the sum total of the offense that, that Mick has had, against undertaker so far has been when they first met on the top of the cage he hit him with a chair like once yeah i, th- I think he uh might have leg dropped him because because not to no that maybe that's coming because undertaker gets some color in this match too yeah yeah the leg drop comes later um they're kind of they're in the cage now because they, they they choke slam him through and into the ring so taker drops down through the same hole um now they're battling on the outside of the ring, and Mick tries to pick up the steel steps. Can't do it because his arm's fucked up. Mm-hmm. Taker grabs him and immediately just pummels him like three times with the steps, with the steel steps. Yeah. Um, more bru- more more brutality. Um, then you get some offense from Mick. Mick kind of uh, slams his head into the cage a couple times, gets color on Taker. Uh, they head back into the ring. After- Actually, I think, I think Taker misses a suicide dive. That's when he picks up the color. Did it? I think I think what it was, yeah, I think it was something like that. Like Taker goes for maybe not a suicide dive, but he goes he, he goes, goes diving. over the ropes. He goes over the ropes, I think, and uh ran runs into the cage instead. Yeah. I mean he he gigged, obviously, but um th- that's the the spot that was supposed to have, you know, 
yeah, we we got we got color on Taker at this point. Uh, Mick grabs the big bag out from underneath the, the ring, revealed to be thumbtacks. They're everywhere at this point, like concentrated on one side of the ring it mostly. Amazing but it's amazing fucking lot of thumbtacks too. Yeah, like, there's a ton he dumps of them. a little bit out and then he just goes nuts and dumps the whole bag. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow. And you think you think Taker's gonna go go into the thumbtacks, but he kind of reverses a couple moves. Uh, Mankind gets the mandible claw. Yep, on him. Uh, Taker kind of breaks out of that. And then, uh, with Mick on his back, like just falls flat back onto the thumbtacks. Yep. So Mick's got him all over the place. He gets a choke slam, I think, into the, and, and then he choke slams him into the thumbtacks. Yeah, finishes him off with a tombstone. That's the one, two, three. Yeah. Um, Taker leaves the ring as soon as the cage comes up. He kind of ambles up the uh, the walkway. He's not. He's not briskly walking up the the no. walkway. He's he's hurting as well. But um, Mick, they're putting him back on the stretcher to get him out. Um, they get him out of the ring, and he rolls off the stretcher. Kind of ends up walking off on his own volition. But he's got thumbtacks everywhere. He's bleeding from the mouth. He's bleeding like he's bleeding under his shirt in a, a few different places because his shirt. He, I mean, mankind. The character mankind wears this white shirt. Um, that, that's basically a mess and. Uh, He's bleeding in several different places from the damn thing. So, um, and you can see when he's walk when he's walking off, it's not kayfabe. Like, uh, he he's not um, he's barely walking. He's getting the help from other guys, and you can he's got tell Terry Funk on one side of him. Yeah, you can tell he he like legit needs the help. Like that's yeah. not like a that's not a work at all. Um, at this point, he's pretty fucked up. Um, yeah, I I had forgotten how brutal this match was when uh, we talked last week. I actually asked Eddie. Uh, I think it was after the show. You know what what should we do next and this was this was actually his first suggestion was we go to this this match um and man i mean i'm not disappointed because it's it's a hell of a match um obviously is beat up as mick is today he's still alive you know he made it yeah but uh it wasn't easy to watch not as easy as it was back then like when i watched it the first time because i obviously it was i was more in the mindset of man they're blowing my mind what else can they do that's you know yeah, and this is still firmly in the days for me where I, um, like I knew that it was uh fake, so I was just like, oh, like you know, they're not in any danger. It's fine, you know. Like, and, and I didn't know that that you know, especially the spot where he gets choke slammed through the cage, which I think is probably probably the most dangerous thing through. No, no question, the most dangerous thing they did. And I was thinking about the tax, and fuck me, that's got to hurt a lot. Um, yeah. But that's not, it's not a ridiculous spot. If if. If nothing else in that match had happened, that wouldn't be the 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 craziest thing ever. But man, it's just a brutal match, and especially knowing that you know some of that shit wasn't planned, like him going through the cage and having his fucking tooth hanging out the whole time, the whole match. Uh, just absolutely crazy match to watch, and and, and especially now knowing the backstories and stuff like that behind it, it it's even more insane. Uh, you know what really both guys went through. Obviously, yeah. mankind takes it takes the 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 brutality and, and takes the biggest bumps in that match, but uh even taker taker takes some pretty big bumps there too or some you know com- not comparatively but he takes some good bumps for, you know for any other match in that um in this particular match but uh yeah so just ridiculous um and there's a reason they don't do spots like that anymore like yeah. uh that was that wasn't again one of my other favorite things um just in the wikipedia article was uh uh apparently vince came up to uh mcfoley after the match and said you know, thanks for all you've done for the company, but uh, don't ever do that again. Um, because, you know, like, uh, and Mark Mark talks about it and he he kind of says, like, 
when he went through the cage, like, and he didn't get up right away, I legit thought he was dead. Like, uh, and it's not surprising, like, because he actually received a concussion on that fall and was legitimately un- unconscious for a bit there. So, um, uh, it just speaks to man, uh, mankind McFoley. I can't imagine basically anybody else actually getting up after any of that. So yeah, well, I mean, and we're gonna we're gonna go over uh, some other matches that kind of set a precedent for being relatively dangerous and stuff like that as we go along. Uh, I believe my next our next uh, match is gonna be Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon at uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, nineteen ninety nine. We'll probably talk about that not next week, but the week after. Yeah. Um, and that's 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 kind of a brutal match uh, as well. We both actually watched that fairly recently. We'll watch it again uh, just before. That's we, a good match. Show. That's a good match, and and you know I definitely wouldn't mind watching it again. So. Yeah, um, and then following that, I think we're gonna get into some other stuff. Um, Edge and Christian versus uh, Matt and Jeff. I think uh, the Terry Invitational Tournament, uh, which is the ladder match. The ladder match was the ladder too. match um, was gonna be one of them that we talk about. Uh, if you guys have suggestions for uh, classic matches that you'd like us to watch and and talk about on the show or you can email us really. uh questions at whatever.co uh it doesn't have to be a question it can be a suggestion yeah, it can be whatever you want i mean it's not a law i think yeah the email address um you can also find us on twitter at whatever show facebook facebook.com slash whatever show we have an instagram too uh we posted a, a thing or two there it's at whatever show if you want to go check us out there yeah um yeah, but that's the extent of it. I guess, you know, let us know what you want to hear more of or less of or whatever. And we'll, you know, then probably do whatever we want anyway. We do that. Yeah. I mean, uh, if if we can't stay on track through our own show, how do you think we're going to take notes? Yeah. You can't tell us what to do. Yeah. You're not the boss of me. Uh, anyway, that's the show for this week. We'll be back uh, next week with uh, some more pay-per-view. What's next week? Elimination Chamber. Elimination Chamber. Should be good. It's, it's shaping up to be a pretty decent pay-per-view. Cool. Yeah, they got a lot of stuff. I think we we got to be getting pretty close to really start setting up Mania. And- this will be a SmackDown exclusive pay per view as well. So, uh, we haven't seen the SmackDown pay per view in a little while. Yeah. All right, guys. Talk to you later. All right. Bye.